Welcome to Soaring with Eagles with your host, Crystal Richardson, a.k.a. Sergeant K. Each week, we hear from Crystal and her successful guests as they share their triumphs, tragedies, tools, and secrets for living a full life complete with financial freedom laced with fun and fulfillment. Crystal takes a controversial and edgy approach to unveil interesting facts about millionaires, billionaires, and game changers, and how they have accomplished life success while giving back. Now, here is Crystal Richardson. Let's all just wave and say hey to everybody on the Solidarity Narrative on today. We are so happy to be with you. And hopefully you all invited a lot of people to come out and share with us because this is a solution-based narrative, a solutions-based narrative. So as we start today, what we want to be focused on is sharing our story. We want to be focused on even sharing our solutions. We want to be focused on unity. And what we're going to do with all of our speakers today is we're going to connect basically the same way that we would if we were in a summit together uh, face to face. Because you know we believe that even during this coronavirus time, that this is even a larger time for us to come together as human beings. This is not just related to black, white, Hispanic, or any race, as you can see here from our speakers. I'm so happy everyone is, is able to be with us today. We have a merit of various types of nationalities, race, male, female, and various ages as well. So thank you for being a part of our summit today. And before I go into some other uh, opening comments, um, Mike is the co-host for this. Uh, if you would like to go ahead and say hey to everyone. Hey guys, how are you? <laughs> and thank you so much for joining this. This is really great. All right. We'll be doing it online. All right. All right. So what we're going to do is introduce all of our speakers. And just based on where you are located on my screen, I'll just go ahead and, and say your name so that you can introduce yourself, where you're from. I'm here out of the Phoenix area. And uh, go ahead and say where you're from and, and what you do. We'll start at the top with uh, my cousins. Uh, Jonathan, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, my name is Jonathan. This is my wife, Julia. Um, and we're in the Carmel, Indiana area, um, and we're missionaries with an organization called Youth with a Mission. Yeah, and we're headed to Oaxaca, Mexico as well. Right, right. Excellent. Welcome. Welcome. Taiwan. Hello. Good morning. I'm good Taiwan morning. White. I'm from Los Angeles, and I'm a police officer uh, with the LAPD. Awesome. Noelle? Hi, my name is Noelle Palmer, and I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm a mental health professional that works uh, in the community responding to individuals and families experiencing a mental health crisis. Cool. Welcome. And then we have Keith. Hello, my name is Keith Ellis. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm a professional clean comedian. Excellent. Andrew? My name is Andrew, and I'm a gospel rapper at my church, and I'm a youth speaker, and I live in Arizona. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks for being with us. And we have Mr. Dom. Hello, my name is Dom Fawcett here in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, radio show host on 960 The Patriot KKNT, and executive coach and leadership speaker. Superb, superb. And on my screen right here is, is Mike. 
Mr. Diamond. Me, me, ah, Mike Diamond. I um, am in Los Angeles, about 20 minutes from Hollywood, and I'm an interventionist, author, and a speaker. Superb. Holly? There we go. Hi, uh, Holly Emery. I am in the Atlanta metro area, and I am a leading edge emotional awareness uh, educator and coach and um, personal development. Yeah. All about abundance. <laughs> All about abundance. Right, right. Stefan. My name is Stephen Howard. I am a former NBA player. Currently, I'm an ESPN college basketball analyst, as well as a leadership coach and executive coach. Excellent. So we have Stefan and Stefan. So I'm sorry, I have like all these, names. <laughs> all these similar names. So we'll, we'll go to you, Stefan. Hi, I'm Stefan Leary. I'm in uh, Katy, Texas. I'm a uh, basketball coach. I've been coaching for 27 years. Also uh, an inventor, um, trainer, and uh, recently wrote a book. So thank you for the opportunity. Excellent. Thank you. Armin? Hey, everybody. My name is Armin Shafi. I'm, uh, I'm zooming in from Toronto, Canada. And uh, my full-time purpose is helping other coaches get their message out there. And I work with people on adversity and failures. Superb. And uh, Pastor Henry. Hello, my name is Daryl Henry. I am pastor of the Abundance of Rain Christian Church. I'm an author, uh, playwright, um, and businessman. Um, and a uh, community activist, if you want to call it that. We do a lot of work in the community helping out. Just glad to be on today. Awesome. Thank you. And Miss G. It's Jonah. I was using your last name. I'm sorry I confused you. <laughs> That's okay. I wasn't sure if we had another Miss G on. <laughs> Good morning. I'm Jonah Jova, and I'm a meditation teacher of sustainable passion training. I'm also a healer, and I work with people who have complex traumas, including the treatment for um, mental health and addictive disorder and professional athletes. Excellent. Dr. Thompson. Yes, uh, I am uh, hailing from uh, Miami, Florida currently, and uh, I am a, a pastor, naturopathic physician, um, an activist, uh, as well as an author. Excellent. And Mr. Verma. Hello, everyone. How's Crystal doing? I'm doing <laughs> okay. Yeah, great. Okay. My name is Satish Verma, and I'm president of Think and Grow Rich Institute, and I represent Emporial Foundation in most of the countries. So what else I can say? So we deliver a lot of seminars, workshops based on Napoleon Hill's philosophy. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And then we have John. Good morning, guys. Uh, John Malott. I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am an investor, entrepreneur, side hustle expert. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. Thank you. Thank you. So I just wanted to just welcome everyone again and uh, really appreciate you being a part of this summit. Um, the three words that I have uh, related to today, you know, have been related to unity, peace, and hope. Unity, peace, and hope. 
But going into this and this morning, there's some things that I'll be sharing today with you about our responsibility and our chance that we have right now and our choices. We all have a responsibility to really stand up and be our authentic self and do what's right. And I really appreciate you all being here to share. Everyone has a very, very extremely unique story that uh, really binds us all together. And so uh, as we go through your time, whether you are a speaker or if we're going to interview you, um, I just appreciate uh, the honesty, the authenticity, and you being able to be here because you have accepted the responsibility. You have taken a chance to not just speak up for what is right and what you feel is right in this forum, but it's a part of your life. And uh, you also have made a choice to, to be a part of this particular event. And there's a lot going on in the world. It's not just here in the United States. So again, I really appreciate you being on no matter where it is that you're tuning in from. And um, I'm looking forward to a really great time of, of sharing. And you already have showed that you care about humanity, care about what's going on because you are here. So with that being said, uh, we are on time with our first speaker. And he's just going to share with us from the heart. Uh, he's been all over the world, worked with all different types of people, and has lots of experience uh, delving deep into the human mind, the human mind and the human mindset. So with that, I would like to welcome Satish. So I represent Napoleon Foundation uh, and also we deliver seminars, workshops based on Napoleon Hill's philosophy. Mm -hmm. So in these times, I think we are going through amazing times, as Napoleon would say at this time, the best is going to come out of this. And uh, this has been terrific three months for me. I'll tell you, I have been more productive during this time than any time in the history of my life. Okay. So it's, up, it's all in the mind what you want to do. See, there are certain things you have no control over, but you certainly have a response that's totally under your control, what you want to do with the time that's given to you. Yeah, I have been watching on TV sometime, you know, there is a lot of lot going on, uh, racial discriminations and, you know, and other stuff. And coincidentally, I came across an essay I'd like to share with you from Napoleon Hill, which will really mind, which is really mind blowing. This essay is on uh, intolerance, okay? I'll share that with you. This is what he says. He says, when the dawn of intelligence shall spread over the eastern horizon of human progress and ignorance and superstition shall have left the last footprints on the sands of time, it will be recorded in the last chapter of book of man's crime that his most grievous sin was that of intolerance. The bittersweet intolerance grows out of religious, racial, economic prejudices and differences of opinion. How long, O oh God, until we poor mortal will understand the folly, folly of trying to destroy one another because we are of different religious beliefs or racial tendencies. Mm -hmm. Our allotted time on this earth is but a fleeting moment. Like a candle we are lighted shine for a moment and flicker out. Why can we not learn to live during this brief earthly visit 
that when the great karma called death draws upon us and announce this visit is completed for us, we will be ready to fold our tents and, and silently follow out into the great unknown without fear and trembling. I'm hoping that it will, I am hoping that I find no Jews or Gentiles, Catholics or Protestants, black or white, Germans or Englishmen or Frenchmen, when I shall have crossed the bar to the other side. I'm hoping that I will find there only human souls, brothers and sisters, all unmarked by race, creed or color, for I shall want to be done with the intolerance so I may rest in peace throughout eternity. Mm -hmm. This is the message I like to give to everyone. And I'll tell you, uh, has there been, have I ever, in, see, I'm from India. I came to this country, North America. Did I ever experience anything like this in my life when I'm here for the last 48 years now? And let me tell you, I've never, ever experienced, never any kind of discrimination because I believe right from the beginning, it's all in our mind. We can be and do and have anything that we want in our life if we make up our mind that this is what, you're, this is what you want in life. So uh, I, I urge everyone to uh, read Napoleon Hill as much as possible because there is nothing like this in this world. You can see this powerful essay that he wrote about intolerance. And we are all equal. We are all same human beings. We are all given 32 billion nerve cells in our brain to do and be and have anything that we want. So let's make the best of the time that's with us and, and, and be more creative. See, it's never the lack of opportunity that matters in human beings. It's the lack of imagination, what we do during, during that time. As somebody says, we are all in the same storm, but in different boats. Okay, so let's make the best out of this. Let's find our destination where it's going to take us. And I honestly believe that something great is going to come out of this. Whatever happened in the United States or around the world because of Corona or because of other prejudices that we are experiencing, I think something great is going to come out of this. We are going to have a lot of world peace and, and we are going to enjoy the rest of our life. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Satish. I really appreciate uh, those opening remarks. And, and like you said, you know, a lot of us, we're sitting here, you know, I'm 55, about to be 56, and haven't seen anything like this ever before. This is just a really um, heartfelt time. And, and I tell you, just the feelings that I have inside, really, even though I'm saying words right now, I have words to express uh, how I'm feeling about all that's going on today. So thank you uh, for those opening remarks. And uh, Mike, you have any, any comments or, or questions before we end with Satish? Yeah, Satish. So I love how you mentioned Napoleon Hill, and I loved his book, Think and Grow Rich. So I have a question for you. Why do you think, I mean, such a great book like Think and Grow Rich was written so many years ago. We haven't evolved from that time. Uh, I'm sorry, can you repeat the last line again, please? Why haven't we, like Think and Grow Rich, when we look at it, I mean, that, it was pr probably one of the first self-help books. Why yes. do you think 
why do you think since then a lot of people quote Napoleon Hill and think and grow rich and he talks about infinite intelligence and source energy. Why haven't we evolved from the, from then? Why are we still stuck saying, we're all saying all these positive things, but how many people are actually congruent? Why do you think that is? Ali, uh, well, uh, thank you for your question. I'm asked this question many times. See, this book was written in 1937, right? So, See, there are three things that, that really control our destinies according to, according to what we see around us. Number one is the media. Number two is our education system. Number three is our churches or religious places. Okay? If we can bring that philosophy into these places, the world will, will be very different. I can assure you this thing. We have tried to penetrate in this philosophy into the school system where children will be taught not the linear kind of thinking, but, you know, expanded thinking so they can be and have, when they start to use their mind, actually, not solving any, uh, uh, calculus problems, but how do you solve the human problems when we teach those kids right on the beginning in school, I bet you that things are going to change. Coming back to your question. See, we decided to penetrate this philosophy into school system. You know how difficult it is to get into schools? We went all over and we were not allowed to even come in. They said, what is this nonsense? Think and go rich. They didn't understand that richness is not about just money. It's about the soul. It's about our own self as human beings. Okay, Like being intolerant, being tolerant of every other human being and culture and everything. That's what Think and Grow Rich is about. See, this is what happened in, in, when we went to school. And we were, as I said, we were not allowed to come in even. You know what? We decided to have our own school. And you know the difference? My son is all over the world making a difference to about 5,000, 50,000 students so far we have treated them, we have, we have taught them this course, and the more and more are coming into our business. So uh, why it has not come in, as I said, there are other things that are controlling uh, we don't say they are more powerful. I'm not saying this thing. Or we are more powerful than them. That's not the case even. It is just that truth will always prevail. I want you to remember one thing. Every personal development course has basically vanished. Since 1937, this is the only philosophy because this is purely built on truth. Nothing but the truth in this place, in this business, in, in, in 1937 of Think and Grow Rich. That's why after almost 80 years of publication, still is number one philosophy. 125 million people have been impacted with this. So slowly it's coming. This is the reason we took over the institute ourselves, mm -hmm. that we want to make a difference in this world. We really want people to feel that they can really be and do and have anything that they want with themselves. I hope I answered your question. Uh, uh, so we are we are on our way. We are on our way to make that difference. Awesome. So thank you so much for for being a part uh, of this summit and giving us some opening comments. Uh, this is Satish Verma. He is the president uh, of Think and Grow Rich Institute, and so we will be giving more information and bios for uh, the people who are on this if you want to contact them in the future and uh, doing some other spotlights and some other forums that we have. So thank you so much, Satish. 
Okay, Crystal, before I go, uh, uh, you know, I have the success essay uh, by Napoleon Hill. And okay. I can e email you this copy so you can give it to every, send it to everyone. Okay, that would be great. Right. Okay, so I'll do that. And what is it called? It's called Success Essay on Intolerance. Success Essay on Intolerance. Okay. Uh, this is original, uh, signed by Napoleon Hill himself. That's what it is. So I'll send you exactly the same copy, everyone. If anyone is watching and you want a copy of that, then just type in the comments of this discussion, type intolerance, type yes. intolerance, and then we will put your name in our database for you to get a copy of that. Type okay. intolerance and we'll get your information. Thank you so much, Satish. Okay, my pleasure. All right, great. All right. Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Next, we'll have opening comments from Armin. Are you there, Armin? Yes, I am. Awesome. So, um, do I just, do I hop in? I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Uh, what do you have to share with us? Yeah, no problem. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, it's an honor to be able to be a part of such movements and things that, um, there's like two, you know, there's two, there's two real sides you take a part of any problem, which is, you know, focusing on it or focusing on the solution. And I love that this event is all about focusing on the solution and solidarity in and of itself means that. Um, I do want to, before I go into my, um, my, my few thoughts about this, I do want to uh, give my, my personal perspective of being a transformed student of Thinking Grow Rich. I believe, Mike, um, 100 years ago, this philosophy was written, right? There are still seasons happening 100 years ago, the same way that's still happening today. Winter still comes after fall. Summer still comes after spring. And these are just how nature, laws of nature work. Gravity still exists. So does every other law in the universe. And I feel like, and I've read Thinking Growth on a deep level several, 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 several times. And every time I read it, I realize I didn't know what I was reading last time. And what I've realized is the only reason why this book is evergreen, it's everlasting, is because even though we evolve, we become more intelligent, we find new creative ways of expressing ourselves and expressing solutions and um, technology, the very laws of nature stay the same. And the foundation of where we evolve on that foundation is always the same. And what I believed is, and personally why it changed my life, is because this philosophy right here is not through a personal per opinion of somebody. It's based off laws of nature. And so um, I look at it like gravity is still the same 100 years ago than now. And so how I look at it is I get to evolve as a human being, and then I take that and make sure it's built on a solid foundation of the natural laws of the universe, natural laws of humanity, and how everything just works, how seasons come and go, how the sun rises and sets, and how the moon comes and goes. It's just, it's just how things work. All Napoleon did for us, and I think is the most important, one of the most important things he's done for humanity, is he's allowed us to learn how to appropriate ourselves in harmony with these laws. And so with that, we complement the innovation of our evolution. And I believe in that. I believe 100 years ago, Napoleon didn't know there might be lots of different um, meditation techniques and different thought patterns that we can take and go to the next level. But he definitely told us how the universe works and says, as long as you don't uh, interrupt that flow, you'll do good as you follow it. So that's how I look at it. Um, what a great question, though. What a great question. Um, so I just wanted to talk about Hey, Let me ask you a question. Because yeah, no you said some great stuff. Napoleon is only taking it from the great Stoics. Yes, 100%. And That's so this has been around for 2,500 years. It's what so I find very interesting is the East had Lao Tzu and Buddha. The West had the Stoics and so Socrates and the Stoicism movement. This book is 1934, but 
when you read the book, which is these incredible chapters, he doesn't talk about meditation, which has been around since the beginning of time, right? He does talk about the law of attraction, cause and effect, right? The law of synchronicity, the law of forgiveness, right? The law of desire, if you want to go in it. There's over a hundred natural laws, yeah. right? But my question, which, and even to you, is that why are we still having this conversation about divide when such an easy book to read? Forget school systems. It's about us as leaders yeah. putting these messages out. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I so do. it's like, you know what I'm saying? So it's Think and Grow Rich is only that much of what has been written for the last 2,500 years. Absolutely. One of the Satish's. I'm very privileged to say he's one of my mentors. He's like a father to me in some sense. Um, and one of the biggest things I admire about him is I tell him, I say, Satish, I've been reading Think and Grow Rich for two years now. He goes, start reading other things about people that Napoleon learned from. So he sits down, he reads about Shakespeare. He reads about um, Aristotle. He reads about, and that's why Satish, like, oh my God, the coffee talks I'll have with him blow my mind because he goes deeper. And what I realize is you're absolutely right. Napoleon literally just studied what the greatest people in history have left for us. And his only, and what I love about what he did was he was able to organize it in such an easy way to just get it in the modern day. And even a hundred years ago, he wrote it the way today it still applies. Some of the things I'm reading, I'm like, men and women are still like this. And so he's just another person. You look at Tony Robbins today, all he did was become a student of thinking and grow rich. And he's teaching it in a modern language. So I believe you're right. In fact, the richest content we'll ever get is going back at the source of it all and just learning that. And some people don't do that. And they read just one self-help book. And luckily I'm saying that this book alone made it easy for me to digest so much wisdom. Um, I would actually leave you with this. I, I've been reading Grow Rich with Peace of Mind recently. And this book, so Napoleon wrote his last book when he was in his 80s and it's Grow Rich with Peace of Mind. The entire book is about how to manage your mind so you never lose peace of mind over just wanting to achieve goals in life. That is probably the most spiritual book he's written. And I personally would write, I think you would love it. So that one is all about really way more modernized later in the years of the 90s, uh, of the 1900s. And it's so much more up to date. Um, that book is like next level. This is just something he wrote in the middle of the depression. Um, does that answer your question? Of just my perspective of it? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so Armin yeah, I was just going to say just, you know, in some closing comments related to a solution, just, you know, in 30 seconds or less, do you have uh, anything to leave with us? I always love hearing you speak. Uh, it's always, you know, just to the point, very direct and deep all at the same time. So putting a little pressure on you there, but what do you have to say? I'll say it. What I think about what's happening in the world, not just the states, is that it's happening the way it's supposed to be happening. This is not, a, a loose, this is not an ignorant, positive mindset I'm having. I'm having a realistic mindset, which is if God and the universe and humans were, were, didn't know, we're not, we're not supposed to do things that we're not supposed to do, it wouldn't be even an option. And here's how I look at it. We've always learned and grown from every adversity we've ever faced as, um, as a nation and as a human race. I think everything's happening the way it's supposed to be happening. And the moment we realize why this was a great thing and new things like the police force changing their laws so that it's not that easy to do stupid things like that again, these are all progressive things. So I don't take it back. If I were to do anything differently, I keep it the exact same. I believe that even the one or few people or the millions who have died over the years have caused the purpose. They didn't die in vain. And so the world's only gotten better and it's happening the way it's supposed to be happening. Doesn't mean that we're always gonna like that though. Doesn't mean it's gonna feel good. It just means it's supposed to be what we're supposed to be getting. And that's right. how I look at it. I, I like to accept what is going on and make the best of it. 
which is why, you know, I think a positive mindset is, um, it's a privilege. It's not just a gimmick. I think for me, it's about being realistic is there's two sides to every coin. Choose which side you focus on. And that's what the future will look like for us. So thank you for uh, having me on and uh, uh, sharing a few thoughts on this. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. And we'll give your information on how people can get in touch with you. And um, thank you for all that you do to bring unity. And just sometimes your posts are just, you know, right up in your face on on how we should be thinking and believing as humanity. And I appreciate your openness and, and authenticity. Thank you. Are you there, Dom? I'm right here. Awesome. Change to attendee. All right, and then I'll stand by and wait till I can start my video. Yep, you're up right now. You can see me? No, I cannot. Uh, it says un unable to start video because the host has stopped it. Well, let's just start that. All right. Okay, I sent a message. And there you, you are. are. Voila. How you doing? I am doing well. Before we get into you, I'd just like to thank all of those who are tuning in. Remember, uh, if you have other people that want to tune in, make sure they go to the discussion tab of the Solidarity Narrative. And even just write in the comments where you're watching from. Uh, it'll come up with your name. It'll let us know where you're watching from. And uh, we can uh, maybe even give you a, a special prize for being on. A number of people did type intolerance. I have all these different little pieces of paper right here. So thank you all for being engaged. Let us know where you're tuning in from. Mr. Dom, how are you? Outstanding, how are you? Excellent, excellent. So you did something real special this morning, just real quick, what'd you do? Uh, there is a uh, organization by the name of 22 Too Many. It's an organization that uh, honors the veterans that have taken their lives uh, by way of, uh, due to PTSD and approximately 22 veterans a day uh, die of suicide. And uh, went this morning to go run a 5K uh, and I promise you that I would be back here on time. So here I am. Excellent. Excellent. So what do you have for us today? I've got, let's talk about command presence. Um, and when I say command presence, obviously Think React Lead is the name of my company. Think is an executive react like a soldier and lead. High level overview, I'm an ex-cop, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, prior military, Air Force K-9, K-9, the guys with the dogs. Uh, and did some corporate stuff over the last 15 years. But command presence is that thing that allows you to wake up and, and really not focus on yourself, right? Uh, what allowed me to start my company was, simply put, I just wanted to change one life every day for the rest of my life when I was in the corporate space. Uh, when, you, when you stand over a man and, and, and watch him breathe his last breath or see a woman bleed out, uh, knowing that they've got seconds to live and you see the their, their, their soul sink into the back of their head. Um, you, you, you look at life differently, right? I'm very thankful for waking up. Um, I'm thankful for, you know, just being on this side of the dirt. So one of the questions I, I ask myself top of the morning and bottom of the night is what, what more can I do? I have zero plans on being self-employed. I never really planned on even having a side hustle as John mentioned earlier, but when my mission was to change one life every day for the rest of my life and basing that off the fact that I was waking up every morning going to a six-figure job leading people, but I was waking up in a closet, right? I would sleep in a closet because that, that for me was a very comfortable space. I'd have my Benelli Glock behind me, my Benelli shotgun behind me, my Glock 26 under my pillow. And that was a very confined space for me to sleep in because I could, I can control 
what comes into that one egress or the, the uh, door. And I was like, you know what? I can't be the only person, forget being a veteran. I can't be the only person that struggles showing up to work with a fake smile. So I say, you know what, let me just, let me just get out there and, and just change one life. And I started with my employees and then I started with, with, with other people, like peers, and then executives started to come to me. And then I wrote a book. Again, actually, my third year, my third anniversary of the, the book was two days ago. I barely graduated high school, so writing a book was not something that I thought I could do. Uh, being, being a public speaker, I stutter. I have Tourette's currently. But it's, it's that what more can you do? And when you focus your life on others outside of self and, and, and you, you, you're comfortable, right? Ex-cop, prior military, loving other men, love, just using the word, falling in love. Like that was like, mm, yeah, that's not what we do because we're tough guys. But the toughest thing that I've ever had to do was look myself in the mirror and tell myself, I love you. I can kick in doors. I can serve warrants. I can jump out of this, jump onto that. That's anybody really can do that. As you start coaching people and they start diving into what their problems are, you start to lean on your past experiences. And, and, and you don't, I've never said if I can do it, you can do it. What I say, you're on this side of the dirt, which means everything, every, you're in America. For the most part of the people that I coach, there's nothing you can't do. And there was a, a young man that I, I did a private security thing and he worked under me and he was African and he would walk to work. He lived here in the States, walk to work 10 miles. And one day I said, bro, you've worked two shifts. Let me drive you home. He said, no, brother, I'm going to walk home. I love this country. And that's, that's my poor excuse for an African accent. But I explained, I asked him why. One day a week, he would have to go walk to work. He'd have to get there before sun came up. And his responsibility was to dig a ditch make bricks, lay the bricks. He got paid a dollar, sun up, sun down. And he said, if he messed up, if the bricks weren't in line, he wouldn't get paid. If he did get paid, his two options were walk home in the streets, get beat up by the cops, they take his dollar, he can't feed his family. The other option is to walk in the bush, is what he calls it, which is where the lions are. And he said, lions never bothered me. As long as they're laying in the shade, they've already eaten, I'm fine. And I thought, wow, like this guy is really, taken the American experience and really, really launched it. And my mindset then, this was about 15 years ago, was what more can I do? So many people, they set their alarm, great intentions. It's fantastic, matter of fact. But when their alarm goes off, what do they do? They hit snooze. You hit snooze on your alarm, there's other areas in your life that you're hitting snooze on. Not you per se, but you as in uh, others. But if we're hitting snooze on our alarm and that mindset that allows us to make a promise to ourselves and eight, maybe four to six, eight hours later, break the promise to ourselves. How are we expected to not cheat on our spouse? How are we expected to not show up late for work? How are we expected to be a better parent? How are we expected to think outside of self to help other people to grow? You can't do that if you can't first fix your crap at home, excuse me, can't fix you at home. So my, my, my message behind that was, you know what, I, I, can't, I can't lead others outside of my front door if I don't first handle my home first. So I make sure that the person I am on social media is who my wife sees that I am at home. That way, I don't gotta stress when somebody runs up to me at a, in a coffee line or I'm on stage or, and I don't have to get nervous before I speak in front of any audience. I don't sit in the green room, hang out with the people in the audience because those are the ones that you're going to impact. So it's what else can I do? So when I, and I'll share this with anybody watching, when I was in the corporate space and I knew I had a mission, I didn't know what it was. I just knew I had to do a thing. 
So as long as your feet are moving, like I didn't run fast this morning, wasn't breaking any land records, but I did a thing, right? I completed something. So I would come home and then I would trick my brain. Obviously you work 40, 50 hours a week. Sometimes you're tired, you come home. Then I would come home, take off my suit, jump it. I would lay down for five minutes. Like I would lay down in the morning. I would get up, I would shower, I would shave again. By the time I finished shaving, my mind was in a space of, uh, I don't know if he's tired or if, if I should be getting ready to go to work because he's doing all of the actions that he would normally do. So then I would put on a suit and I'm just going to my kitchen table at the time to complete what is now Think React Lead. And I did that for a year straight. And then I posted on, so I posted on Instagram. Somebody said, use Instagram. Never had social media prior to five years ago. And I said, uh, let me post three times a day, every day for 365 days straight. Like that's a, what more can I do? That's command presence showing up for me so that others can, so I can show other people that it is possible in this instance. And I did that and then got to a point where I had to decide, leave my job or come here or not come here. You're not here, but uh, be self-employed. And I asked my dad who, who's self-employed. I said, dad, do you think I should leave? And he said, look, in order to really make an impact, you need dollars. And if you can't handle being a millionaire and no, no, hold on what he said. He said, if you can't handle managing a little bit of employees that you have, working a little 40, 50 hours a week, and then working five to six hours a day on your business, you'll never be able to become a millionaire and you'll never see what you're really made of. So I was like, oh shoot, now it's not a good time to leave. 90 days later, mindset changed. I think somebody mentioned it earlier and I, I, I left, right? Again, stutter, Tourette's, radio, I have a radio show. Why do I do a radio show? Not for me, it's cool. My parents, my parents think I'm famous, but what it is is to show others maybe with speech impediments or maybe with PTSD, or maybe they get nervous just being on camera, that it's possible. If I can, I barely graduated high school. If I can do it, you can do it, right? Um, so how does that, how uh, does that work for you? How does that work for you in relation to, you know, what you've been able to do to inspire, you know, other, other kids, but other little black kids to go out and do, you know, what their dreams are? Are there initiatives that you have to, to help in that nature? No, because when you see a person die, guess what? They don't talk about race. I'm not here to help black kids, white kids. I, my focus is not children. My focus is adult. Helping one child, that's great. There's a lot of people that do that. But being able to break through the negative and horrible mindsets of a parent of four children, I can impact children in a better light, crushing the, crushing the mom or the dad, crushing their, their past mistakes and things that they won't forgive or let go of. Because the conversation at the dinner tables have to change. I was raised, Dominic Fawcett, when you leave this house, you're not black, you're not Portuguese, you're not Puerto Rican, you are a Fawcett. And if right. I ever hear anything that you've done that puts the Fawcett name in a negative light, I'm going to knock your teeth out. So that's just how I was raised. I don't raise my son like that. But that's, that's what it was. I was in a similar way. Not as a Fawcett, but as a Hodge. I was raised in a similar way. Yeah. Fair enough. But it's, it's an, it, a lot of people, because I'm an ex-cop and because I, 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 I am heavily pigmented, uh, I get asked a lot of questions about what's going on. My, my mission's changed one life every day for the rest of my life people hurt is hurt there's no color behind it right right so um with that uh that is uh hurt you said hurt is i want to hear that that quote again i just said hurt is hurt there's no color behind it right right that's awesome that's awesome 
So, uh, Mike, do you have any any questions or closing comment as we go to our next speaker? I have one question. Um, sure. You say you go out and you, your exact words were, save or help one life a day, right? Change one, one life every day for the rest of my life, correct. How do you do that? What's the process? When you say you're doing that, what are you doing? There's no process. It's when you go to the grocery store and you see the clerk who's not smiling, you ask her how she's doing and you encourage her, right? Um, when you go to McDonald's, if that's your thing, and somebody messes up on your order, it's a 35-year-old man at McDonald's. Wasn't part of a life plan. Might, he might be on a work furlough. So when they mess up on your order, don't even don't get emotional about it, right? Uh, walking around with a smile sometimes is difficult, but some, my life is not about me. I should have been dead six times over. So it's my daily actions. It's what I, I post typically daily on social media. My messaging is, is rarely about me. It's about how do I add value to the person that's going to uh, review this? So I think some, oftentimes we get caught up in processes. It's, it's, it's really, if you're that person, it's not a process. It's just how, it's how you wake up. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you being able to share with us today. And uh, really all of this is about us all looking at ourselves as people, not necessarily uh, about color. It is also what you mentioned about how we raise our families mm -hmm. and how we do whatever we can do wherever it is that we go, whether it's McDonald's, the grocery store, or whatever. Um, unity is a choice. Unity right. is a choice. And uh, I appreciate you uh, and all you do on your show and just as an individual to help us understand how we can be better people. So thank you, Dom. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thank, you, Thank Mike. you, Pastor Davis. Are you there? I'm here. How you doing, sis? Doing well. Doing well. Thank you for being on today. Praise God. You know it. Good to see you. <laughs> Good to see you too. Got got some gray going on there right now. I was going to use my just for men, but you know, I figured I'd just let it rock out, guy. <laughs> I wanted to rock, you know what I mean? I was going to try to shoot with a zoom, but I was like, nope, I'm going to let it rock. You know what I'm saying? Awesome, awesome. So we're talking about solidarity today. We're talking about what people are doing in their own lives to, to make a difference. And you do a lot to make a difference all across the world with, um, with your preaching, your teaching, your gospel rap uh, has been heard across nations. And so what do you have for people today related to solidarity? I think it's important that uh, we learn communication in different forms. Sometimes we get caught on the method and not the message. Uh, but I think that even God understands the importance of communication. He said in Isaiah 1 and 18, come and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. It's important, even though God is all-knowing, he knows that without communication with man and his people, that's why he talks to his people before he does anything, because if you don't have communication, that will bring division. And I believe that uh, right now in this country that voices are being unheard, that there's a great racial divide. Systematically, we are have always felt like we have not been heard. So hurt people hurt people. So I see like the youth crying out. I see a lot of uh, really preaching opportunities for me to show people I know what it's like to be angry. I know what it's like to be in a dark place. I've been a black man before I was a pastor. So I understand some of the things that we go through. And, but I understand that hate will not fix the solution. And I understand that love is the only thing. And when you get the love of God in you, that it will help you no matter what you're dealing with or going through. And uh, I've met good cops, bad cops, good people, bad people. So I try to focus on the sin problem and not the skin problem. 
Right, right. And so you said that your very first uh, illustration was related to communication. So anyone <laughs> who's watching, if you can just type in communication so that we can have that and, and put your name in our in our bowl right here, our unity bowl, that would be great. He talked about communication and, and you always have just a way of so eloquently putting a lot of information together. So I'm gonna have to go back and listen to all of what you just said because it was great. <laughs> um, and and, and I, I like one point specifically, you were a black man before you were a pastor. Right. And you were also some other things. So can you just go ahead and just tell uh, our listening audience just a little snippet about your life and then how you've been transformed. And what I wanna get out of that though, is the fact that uh, you know, what have you been going through now that all of this stuff has been coming out um, as a pastor? How are you helping people to, to cope or, or to deal with or communicate better? Listen, so I'm, so talk, talk a little bit about. I'll try to dive in and touch a little bit of everything that you said. I was born and raised in South Phoenix, grew up an athlete, uh, basketball, football, uh, went to South Mountain Community College, won a championship first at Tempe, went to South Mountain Community College, you know. And I, But I always had anger issue. I believe that the anger was like a generational curse in my family. We knew how to blow up, but I never realized that it was a secondary emotion. And I didn't understand that it was important for me to deal with the real issue, the root of what my anger was really, what was causing my anger. And so uh, until I actually learned how to examine myself and deal with me, uh, I really was like a ticking time bomb. I used to fight all the time. I might curse you out, you know what I mean? I lived a lifestyle that I know, I, I look at that person now, I don't even understand how I felt so much into a dark place, but I got caught up into selling weed, uh, made a lot of money, stopped going to church, stopped reading my Bible. I was raised in church by my mom and my grandmother, so I knew better, but I chose to, uh, you know, start drinking and partying and chasing women and doing a whole bunch of stuff but it really brought me to a dark place. I start suffering from sleep paralysis. I start suffering from a lack of sleep. I start I almost becoming a crazy person because I had all the money, had everything that I thought that the flesh wanted, but then I was miserable because I didn't have God. And, you know, I went to jail. I lost it all. They took all my money, took all my weed. I got out flat broke. And I had to realize that I had been living a life that was not true to who God created me to be. And so I had to look in the mirror and say, why was I born? What was my purpose? Surely God didn't, didn't birth me on this earth to sell weed. Uh, so I had to look in the mirror, examine the word of God to find out what was my true calling. And I knew God had called me to preach, but I ran from God. I was afraid from God. I quenched the spirit of God. And I realized I was running from my father. And when I realized who I was and who God was to me, I was able to put God first. The scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And so now I got more peace now than I've ever had. I don't got the money I used to have, but I got the love of God in me. And so I, that's what I do as a pastor. We, you know, you know, we were a church plant almost seven years ago. We started from scratch. We were, we were based on faith. And the Bible says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It says, whether you're Jew or Gentile, it does not matter all those who seek God shall find him. But it says, how can he hear without a preacher? And how can he preach unless he's been sent? And so God sent guys like me, women like you all over the country, because in this time, if with COVID-19, with the racial things that's going on, it makes it seem like God is powerless or he, he's no longer healing or he's not real. 
But I, I try to tell people, I, I try to be a living example to show people that God is still healing. God is still on the throne. God still wants unity amongst his people. And so I, I preach, whether I'm rapping, whether I'm writing, whatever I do, I try to pour out what God has poured into me and all the infections of hate that used to be in me, all the darkness, all the the. the, the pointing people or pointing fingers at other people and not having no accountability that I was really angry about what my father did and not being in my life, all the anger that was in me or how I was treated wrong and by, by certain police officers. It wasn't until I met good police officers that I removed that negative connotation because when we were growing up, raised in the streets, you were taught not to try to be a police officer because the police were crooked, the police were wrong. And so it, it made nobody want to be a police officer to service their own community. And so it wasn't until I actually met good and bad cops that I realized that, wait, every cop is not bad because we were always taught of, if you become a cop, you're a sellout. You know what I mean? So the cop was the enemy. And, and you know I, want, I, mean? I want to break in here because you are always, you know, talking about uh, from time to time, you know, how you're looked at differently, even as a pastor, because of your, your braids. I can't, are you turning to the side? You have braids today? Yeah, I got my braids. Got it's my braids. Yeah, I got my braids. Yes. <laughs> So, you know, um, you know, you have your braids and, and you're not a traditional pastor. You're a gospel rapping pastor. So you're all, already looked at a little bit different because of that. But being a black man um, in, in Arizona, is there anything that you have given as advice to the young men uh, of your church? I, I most definitely. I, I give advice to them every day. I understand I'm a big black man, not just a black I, man. He's a big, a big black, black man. man. So I'm perceived a threat right away. See, a police officer can shoot me and get away with it because he's going to say, hey, I fear for my life. They'll look at my size, you know what I mean, and be like, oh, yeah, he was justified to shoot him. So I always had to learn how to speak because if I speak loud, it's looked at as aggression. Amen? And so I've had to teach the younger men on not only how to handle your internal things because sometimes when we speak out of anger, we're looked at as a threat. When other people speak out of anger, they looked at, they're just trying to get their point across. So I have said things, how to think, not to react first. Give time for yourself to calm down for God to speak to you. Because a lot of times I would say stuff and then think later, regret it. Like maybe I shouldn't have said it like that because I would speak from a hurt, a hurtful place. And so a lot of the training I think is very good to give back. I try to coach not only the kids in basketball and football, but to show them, look at my anger cost me my scholarship to college. I hit my coach. I don't hide my mistakes that I made because if I can just help one person, if I can just show them, look, I, I, I haven't always been a pastor. I haven't always known what to say. I haven't always known how to pray or talk to God. I, I, I know what it's like to be, uh, you know, in a single parent home. I know what it's like to struggle, to, to be born with no money, no food. I know what it's like to struggle. And so I know what it's like to feel like you're all alone. Uh, but I don't want you to feel like you are alone. I, I love you. Even if you don't have your father in your house, I try to be a father figure to them. I try to be a listening ear to listen actively because there's some things that they go through that my generation never went through. So I, I really try to help them and to talk to them about when you're getting pulled over by the police, how to conduct yourself, but how to put your hands on the wheel, how to talk to them, how to look a man in the eye. I teach them these things because it's very important and it could save your life on how you conduct yourself because we are pulled over because we drive in while black. We'll be, I look like a suspect. I look like a a pusher more than a pastor. So when they see me, I'm perceived as a thug. They don't know that I'm a pastor. You know, they don't know I'm a gentle giant like you, uh, Crystal. And so I'm perceived as a threat. 
And so they might look at me and I might look like I lack intelligence. I might look like I'm finna rob the place. I might look like a criminal. So they can't look on the outside and see the love of God in me. And we all are guilty of stereotyping and judging a book by its cover. So I have to teach them the world we live in. People do see your skin before they see your heart. Right, right. And I mentioned to you, uh, and you actually gave me some CDs too. I took a number of CDs to us the last, with us the last time we went to Africa. And so there's people there uh, listening to your music. And plus, you know, you're one of the main gospel rappers. So with your, your station um, on YouTube, so many people have heard you and your lyrics, they're not just on fire, they're, they're relevant. And I've always mentioned to you that, you know, all of the pastors that I've heard all over the world, your messages are so key and so on point, it is ridiculous. And so I wanna make sure that people have your information so that they can tune into you and hear some more information. And I just want to, to mention too, how important it is to pour into our young men. And I appreciate that, you know, your church, our church is basically all about the youth and yeah. having them, uh, express themselves. And so Andrew is one of our speakers for today. And, and that That's is awesome. a large part uh, because of you and um, knowing how to get out of the car. Because when you get out of the car, pastors right. are big and, and they right. can immediately get uh, intimidated. You're tall, you're big, and it's like, oh my gosh, right. you know, one person, you might, you know, so it's, it's a matter of God being on your side, you having the favor of God and just leading a life where you can use your words and not have to get angry anymore. So a person who has had anger issues, a lot of the people we see that have these videos that have gotten um, killed by the police, uh, some of them are undue, um, were, were totally, totally unnecessary. And even if somebody gets angry, it's not saying that it's necessary, but if you know how to carry yourself, you have a better chance at not getting shot or detained or pushed to the ground. You have a better chance. And so anger management, I think is key. And if anyone wants to get in touch with you to talk to you or even just kind of counsel a little bit, if they have that issue since you had that, is that something that we can offer to people? You can offer them my, my number, my location, my email, my, my music. Everything is available. Listen, I'm a fisherman man, and I know all fish don't take the same bait. So all right. I try to do is just to fish out and whoever on the hook, we reel them in and we try to, you know, change whatever that negative that's in them. Uh, I just want to quickly share this. Listen, I had a cop pull me over and because of my size, I looked up, there was about 20 cop cars on the street. And I was, I was like, man, am I a suspect? What's going on? And other officer came and said, the cop was so afraid. He saw your side. He called for backup. <laughs> I'm like, man, he called the whole police force because of me? I'm not scared of you, but I know a lot of people could be. <laughs> you jacked me up on the basketball court, though. I have to say I still I will foul. I will, I will foul you. I, and I will use my size and strength when it's needed, but in a lovely way. <laughs> Yes, yes. So this is Pastor Lelton Davis and First Lady Dee Dee Davis. Shout out to her uh, of work while it's day. I got my brother-in-law with me too. Oh, hey, hey. <laughs> I, got, I got dreads. So. Oh, you got dreads. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to say the name of your church so we can go to the next speaker. So it's Work While It's Day Church, and it is in West Phoenix. But even if you're not able to get on there, they do do lives on Facebook, and he has a multitude of awesome songs uh, that you want to listen to. Even if you're not into gospel rap, you need to listen to these because the words are very understandable and they're all relevant. So thank you for being with us today and uh, can't wait to hear Andrew today as well. Thank you. I says, love you. And I got a new project. I got six songs you ain't heard yet. I'll be okay. sending them to you soon. You better. You better. All right. God bless you. God bless. Bye.
Goodbye. All right, and next we have a John. Mr. John, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. I think I found my new pastor. Yes. Pastor Davis, I love it. Pastor, can yes. you hear me? So before you get off, I have been trying to get this man right here to come to your church for the last six months. And so you just you just uh, reeled him in. So thank you for that. Praise God. Glory be to God, my brother. Yeah, man. I love, the, you know, a sin problem, not a skin problem. I mean, right. you uh, I, I love it. I, I love the way I love the way you communicate. It, uh, it, it, it reminds me of when I was in a drug rehabilitation facility. I met a man who. Uh, who was like you, you know, he was, uh, he, he was more like a pusher than a pastor. And it, it, it was very difficult for me to relate to just anybody. It had to be someone that, that came from where I came from that thought the way I thought. And, you know, it, it was a big transition for me going through that, that drug. I had a heart attack from smoking cocaine when I was 17 years old. And I was so off track as a young man, it, but it, it took somebody like Pastor Davis to come into my life. And, and really hold the mirror up, number one, and also to teach me that my past does not equal my future. And it had such a massive impact. And that was one of the, the early redefining moments in my life. My first redefining moment was when I was 15 years old. My first felony arrest when I was 15 years old, I had robbed the movie theater at gunpoint. And, but it was, it was because of great men right. that were, you know, that really did see more of me than, than, I, than I saw in myself. And that came to me in the right way not talking down to me, not talking at me, but uh, you know, locking arms with me and saying, "Look, I've already been, I've already been on the path. I already cut the path, you know, with the machete. All you gotta do is get on the path." And so, I, I love, I love the message. I can't, I've never heard the music. I can't wait to hear the music. You know, Pastor Davis, I wanted to be a rapper. That was gonna be my thing. Come and on. Then, <laughs> well, you know, Eminem, Eminem showed oh, up God. on the scene. My goodness. Eminem showed up, and I'm like, there can only be one good white rapper at a time. So There's only going to be one good white rapper, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> they can be two. I'm a, it ain't too late, my brother. Yeah, hey, hey, they can I know how to hold the mic and everything. I know how to hold the mic. Oh, I'm ready. God. Okay, John. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me stop. Let me stop. <laughs> Pastor, thank you so much. God bless you. I'm glad you, you came good on fire because I've been telling John about you. So yeah. he had to hear for himself. Sometimes, you know, y'all have a good interview. I'm going to still watch a little bit now. All right. Take All care. Right. All right. Good meeting you, brother. Good meeting you. Okay, Mr. John. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so you already gave a little bit of your story. And uh, thank you so much for being here. I know you're crazy busy. And oh. I love your shirt before we get, you know, continue to go on. I love your shirt. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Bruce oh. Lee. <laughs> yeah. So um, I want you to just tell people, uh, we, we want to talk about some of the things that are going on today. I have a list of names that I want to read, you know, uh, about uh, a number of people who have been violated. Um, but you grew up in a time where you were looked at differently, but some things would happen to you or happen to other people that wouldn't happen to you also because of the color of your skin. So I want you to just share a little bit with our audience. You shared a little bit already, but... Um, about you growing up and some of the things that you went through? Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in a neighborhood that uh, most of the kids around me did not look like me. Uh, I, was, I was definitely the minority in my neighborhood. And, um, you know, there were, there were many times, you know, we were, we were troublemakers. I was a troublemaker for sure. And, and uh, a lot of times, you know, when I look back, there were times when we would get in trouble and, 
they would let me walk home, but not some of my friends. And it, right. I didn't always connect the dots because we all hated the police. You know, you know, we all had a, that was a mutual bond that we all shared is, you know, F the police was kind of the, you know, the, the model. And, and partly because we were criminals. I, I look back and I say, look, part of the reason why I didn't like the police is because I was a criminal. I had a reason not to like the police, but there were, when I do look back, there was a lot of times when, you know, I should have been, you know, taken away and I, and I didn't where friends of mine that were involved in the exact same thing did. Um, you know, so some of the, a lot of this resonates with me in a, in a big way. You know, I have a, I have a black daughter. I'm just going to stop you a minute. You're saying you're friends, but you're not saying I'm, this is not, you know, totally about color, but part of this is about color. So can you just go ahead and say, <laughs> well, if, way were. yeah, just in case you didn't notice, I'm a, I'm a white male. I'm a Caucasian man. And my friends were African American okay. and uh, and Hispanic was was basically the neighborhood I grew up in. <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> other but, people. <laughs> yeah, my, my my other people on my wife's side, and um, yeah, so it was it was interesting. You know, I have a I have a daughter today, and and I have a black daughter. You know, she she's mixed, but let her tell it. She she only claims the black side. You know, she said call me the other day, and she's funny. She's 11 years old. And she's always schooling me. She says, Daddy, you know Black Lives Matter. She says, <laughs> "Black, all, all lives won't matter until Black Lives. She's always schooling me. This kid is, you know, she's my mentor. She's become my mentor. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because we have lots of these conversations because she doesn't all, know the, all of my background. She does know that, I, you know, that Daddy did spend some time, you know, in, locked up. She does know about my drug problems. I, I, I prefer to be very transparent in everything that I do, because there's a lot of lessons. You know, when I look back, you know, the, those things that, that almost killed me, those things that, that took away my freedom, at the time, they seemed like curses. But now looking back, that was actually the blessing. I lost my sister. She died of a heroin overdose when she was 21 years old. My brother's been in and out of prison his entire life, full-blown heroin addict. And how do three people coming from the same household, why, how does one, I, I never say I made it, but relatively speaking, you know, come up the way I did. And it, it had to do with the, the people I met. It had, to do, it had to do with me being incarcerated. It had to, me, you know, had, had to do with me being locked in a drug rehabilitation facility because there was, you know, some other issues around that particular night when, uh, when I actually had a heart attack from what we now know as crack. Back then we were freebasing cocaine. And... But those were blessings. You know, they didn't seem like at the time because I had killed all the relationships around me. You know, my, my life was a mess. But what seemed like a curse back then turned out when I look back, it turned out to be a blessing. It's also what's allowed me to help other people, especially young people that, that go through challenging times or give up on themselves or, can't, or don't believe they can make it. And sometimes the challenge with what, what's happening right now, and my daughters and I have this conversation, is you can't allow these times to turn you into a victim. You have to allow these times to turn you into a victor. I'm not trying to, you know, come up with funny cliches to sound pretty, but the uh, sometimes I, I see even my daughters will allow what's going on right now to kind of give up and say, okay, it's someone else's fault. And the same thing I did, you know, I, I was fortunate I had a mentor that held the mirror up and he said, bro, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You made an appointment to be here. You know, so you can blame, you can blame society, you can blame police, you can blame, and, and I did, I blamed everybody. I blamed my dad, I blamed the teachers, police, everybody. And he said, but in the end, it's about you. You have to make a decision, you know, how you're going to respond to these different things. And, and so far, the bad news is you haven't responded very well. But the good news is, he said, you can make a new appointment in five years, your life can be completely different. So I was fortunate to have great men that came into my life 
uh, very early on and started to teach me the principles. And, and really, it was entrepreneurship that saved my life. In the end, it was entrepreneurship that saved my life. I traded one addiction for a new addiction, and I pursued my new addiction, entrepreneurship, with that same relentless passion that I did for, for drugs and, 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 well, lots of other things. But yeah. And so. Um, so John and I were actually, you know, working on a, on a book, you know, about his life and some other things. And the thing that I really want um, everyone to understand that it may be that the people that he was talking about when he was growing up, you know, were taken one way or maybe taken to jail and, and he wasn't um, because of the color of his skin. But part of this has to do with the fact that uh you know, John's calling on his life, whether it's multimillionaire, you know, multi-billionaire, whatever it is that you have going on right now, is that you had a choice. And you understood, you came to a point in your life where you understood your responsibility and you understood that you needed to make some choices. And so part of this, though, is that everybody did not have that opportunity. And whether we talk about some of the names that I have here, whether it's Ahmad or Michael or Terrence or Eric or Oscar, Freddie, um, uh, both um, uh, Betty, Trevon, Laquan, Tamir. There's like all these different people who were killed by the police, you know, and, and it's not that all police are bad. We are here to honor and pray for those who are really here to protect and serve. And if you were doing something wrong, of which, you know, John talked about a lot of stuff that he did wrong, you know, he maybe deserved to be picked up by the police, but some people were not doing anything. And so they didn't get an opportunity to be able to do some of the things that you have now been able to do in your life. And so when we talk about responsibility, when we talk about choice, is there anything related to those two words that you can, um, as we get ready to close, um, any comments you can give us related to how we can help this generation now to take more responsibility and have better choices? Well, you know, I, I think first off is, is mentoring. For me, you know, I had, I had some incredible mentors that came in my life and I didn't understand responsibility. I, I didn't, you know, I, I was, when I got kicked out of the Milwaukee public school system, they give you something called the central office suspension, which basically said I could never go to a public, any, any school in their system anymore. But I'll never forget, they send a packet home with all the bad things about you. And I remember one of the, the quotes from a teacher was, John is a ship without a rudder. And the reason I say that is because I think today so many young people are like ships without a rudder. You know, for me, I needed, I needed a new purpose. I needed a place to redirect my energy. That's why for me, like I, I use entrepreneurship to solve all problems. My kids know I, I tie everything back to entrepreneurship. You know, I've been fortunate that, uh, you know, we've helped a lot of people, you know, start businesses from home. We've created, I don't know, 600 millionaires, six and seven figure income earners. And so I've been, I've been so focused on saying, look, for me, I got this purpose, which became business. It became about, uh, you know, getting my family first out of the neighborhood. So business was about success in the beginning, which was very selfish. It was like me, myself, and I, I got to get my kids out of this neighborhood. I got to get myself out of this neighborhood. I got to make these changes. Then later on, it became about significance, which was now it was like, how do I pay it forward? There, there is no success without a successor. It's great if I have all this money, you know, which we made millions and millions of dollars and it felt well, it, it didn't feel as great as I thought it would be once we got it. I started catching on. There was more to it. So significance, impact, um, fulfillment, and all of that for me came through building businesses and then teaching other people, you know, how to set up their, their DMO or their daily method of operation, how to scale a business, how to brand themselves properly. 
I had a guy named Jim Rohn came into my life very early on and he taught me about, you know, sharpening up. He taught me to change my language. There was a time I couldn't speak without cuss words flying. I, you know, I would try to bring him back. It was already too late. And so I started realizing that if I wanted different results, I had to act differently. So number one for me was finding a purpose. I think a lot of, a lot of kids today are having a hard time figuring out what their purpose is. I had a hard time in our school system because they didn't know how to deal with a kid that had ADD and five other conditions. You know what I'm saying? It was like, they didn't know how to deal with me. So I'm being lectured to in a classroom and my, I had too much energy. So they labeled me a failure. They labeled me a loser and I acted accordingly. I acted the way they expected me to act. And, and I think it's a big challenge. I think, you know, we need to change, you know, teaching kids financial literacy, teaching kids, you know, that, that, Rich people are not necessarily bad people. You know, we, now we've got this movement that, that making money is, is a bad thing. Well, you know, the chairs we sit on was because some entrepreneur thought about this Zoom, this communication system right now. You know, somebody came up with this idea. And now, thank God, during a pandemic, you, we didn't have to, you know, go too crazy at home because we had communication devices that, that some entrepreneur thought of. So right. I think entrepreneurs are the great problem solvers. I don't think it's going to be the government. I don't think for sure it's not going to be our politicians. They tend to create more, seem like they're creating more problems than, than, than good. I don't think it's going to be the media. I think that the great entrepreneurs have been solution oriented forever. The profit motive is a pure motive. And if you can take other people with you through significance, you know, adding value to other people, teaching people skills, helping them create a design and create a life of their own to get out of the rat race, to get out of the frustration, all these different things, debt and disappointment. I, I believe entrepreneurship is the way out for young people. And when you get young people with the energy they have and get them fired up about a purpose, about creating something, about building something, it's amazing, you know, what happens. So that's my mission now is using entrepreneurship to help young people take responsibility, to have a purpose, to have some direction. And then we teach them how to brand themselves properly and then go through all the steps from leadership to team building, all the things that I had to learn the hard way. We're just helping young people shorten the learning curve now so they can get on the path quick and start rocking and rolling. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to hold up this sign. This just says solutions. And part of what you mentioned was entrepreneurship. So whether you uh, fully know how to spell that word or not, go ahead and put it in the comments. I, I know you're talking somebody. about me. So you, you talking about me not being able to spell? I am not talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about that word is sometimes pretty tricky with the U's and the E's and which one comes first and all that. <laughs> So um, he's talking about solutions. So John uh, here is talking about what has saved him. And another solution he mentioned is mentors. So either type into the comments, uh, entrepreneurship, or type in mentor, because we want to have where people understand, not just listening to us for the purpose of listening, but what is it that, that we have done? What is it that our speakers have done to get through their life? And again, he was afforded an opportunity that some of his friends were not to be able to walk away. And it wasn't that he walked away all the time, he mentioned, you know, being, being in jail, being inca incarcerated. So we have to make better choices. We have to make better choices. And it's our responsibility as we come through these is to help the next person. So um, as you get ready to close, is there any specific comment related to solidarity and, and you know, just what's going on in society today? Any, any last Parting comments. Man, I, you know, I love what the first speaker talked about earlier from Napoleon Hill. Thinking Grow Rich was a, was a massive inspiration, you know, for yeah. what I do in my life. But this whole thing about tolerance, you know, today, you know, we, we don't tolerate one another very well. And it, and it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. If, if you don't believe what I believe in, we're, we're enemies now. I don't, I don't know how that started. 
You know, we're seeing it with race. We're seeing it with religion. Um, I, I love the word tolerant, you know, uh, to, to be to be more tolerant. Let me listen. I, it, the Indians have a proverb that basically says walk a mile in someone else's moccasins. And, you know, the way I relate that to is, you know, what I, I, I teach my kids like we travel all over the world. I think the best way to end racism is go break bread with people that don't look like you. And then you start to find out that we're all about the same. We want the same thing. We want our families to do better. I want my kids to do better. And when we start to come together, we realize, man, we are about the same. And, and there's been DNA testing, you know, a great documentary called The Journey of Man has convinced me that we all come from one place, one continent. Most likely, if we go far enough back, uh, you know, my great, 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 somewhere in the line, you know, started as, as a, a person much darker than me. And then as we travel, this continent shifted and things like that. So I, I think we've just got to be more tolerant of one another. And, and the pastor said it, man, it's love. You know, we, you're never going to solve these problems with hate, for sure. Um, but but that's, that's my thing, man. I, I, I want to love on people. I want to show them that there's light, you know, that there's way. And if, if you watch the television, you start to believe that the whole world sucks and it's falling apart. There's a lot of good things. Like the stuff you're doing on a regular basis is a great example. This is, this is powerful and it can be, you know, life changing. So that's it. Appreciate you, Crystal. Thank you very much for having me. God bless you. Yeah, God bless you too. I just want to hold this up because you said the word together. So if anyone wants to put this in, uh, hashtag together for right, together for right. Because, you know, one of the things that I always say is right is right and wrong is wrong. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And so I appreciate you being on today, uh, brother, and the fact that uh, you now heard the person that I was trying to hook you up with six months ago. So thank God. Thank God. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm going to definitely connect. All thank right. You. Take care. Thank you so much. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Good day. All right. Take care. So we are on the Solidarity Narrative. And we have our next speaker that will be coming up. I wanted to just go through a few things with you. The purpose of this narrative is that we have a responsibility and we have a right and we have a choice to be able to take this chance that we have right now to have our voice be heard. And we may have said, people may say, you've always had that opportunity, but yes and no. A lot of what's going on today is because of the fact that some people have said no more. And um, I am simply really appalled at people who have looked at maybe the content of the character of George Floyd and, and have had an issue with the fact that there's this uprising over his life. Well, I am Crystal Richardson, and I am here to tell you that, yes, it had to do with his life, but it had really not a lot to do with that one person. If you think that all of this that is going on, and even the solidarity narrative, is based on something that happened to one person, then this is where we need to come together and have tolerance and help to educate and help to help people to be more awake. Whether you're black, white, red, or blue, or green, this is a time for us now to come together and be more awake together. So that's why that one hashtag was hashtag together for right. Because right is right and wrong is wrong. And for us now to have social media and cell phones and ways of transmitting the things that have been happening all along, and for more people to actually see it firsthand, then now we're seeing some of the things that, that have been going on maybe in the background and maybe have been silenced. But the more that we see, 
the more my heart is broken because things like this are going on. So this doesn't even necessarily have to do with the police because there's other racial things that have gone on, whether it's black on white or white on, on black or black on black or whatever it may be. All of it is wrong. It's all wrong. And so how do we make a difference? Part of it is doing things like this, getting the narrative out and then talking about the various solutions that we can take together. Part of this does have to do with legislation. Part of it does have to do with us partnering with our uh, local governmental officials to see what we can do to have bills passed, to have more things that are put in place, whether it's for, for the police or just for the general public, um, to get better control over these situations. So with that, I just wanted to say that, you know, this is not anything, like I said earlier, that is against the police because there's good and bad people. There's good and bad police. There's good and bad husbands and wives. We all have where we're working on things. Some people are remorseful and some people are not. So what we have to do is just pray, uh, pray for them and then do what we can do as one person. It only takes one person at a time to come together and then we're united, then we are a movement and then we can make change happen. So I appreciate you being a part of this narrative. We're going to bring up some of our other speakers, but we have a responsibility. Right now we have a chance more than ever to come together to make a difference, but first we have to make that choice. So whether you are a speaker of this, you made a choice to be involved and I really appreciate that uh, between Mike Diamond and I, or whether you are a person that's just watching now or you're catching the replay, you had a choice to click that button and I really appreciate you being a part. So what I'm going to do now is go down here and find our next speaker and promote him to panelist. And he is a new police officer that has agreed to come on and share with us. Are you here, Taiwan? Yes, I am. Thank you for being on with us today. And just tell people a little bit about yourself and we can go ahead and get started with a few questions. My name's Taiwan. I'm a police officer with the LAPD. I've been on for about eight months. I'm what you call a rookie. Um, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. And um, the main reason why I became a police officer, because the stuff I've seen, the shootings, the stabbings, but the main reason is my heart. I love helping people. You guys know when you help a stranger, somebody in the store, um, it's just one of the best feelings in the world. And um, I remember when I seen this um, young black gentleman, he had got stabbed and I seen the fire department waiting down the street. I'm like, how come they're not helping? So I'm like, they have to wait for the um, police to get there first. So I'm like, okay, well, um, that's what I should do. Um, Instead of, you know, just waiting for it to happen, kind of prevent it. And you can also treat it also. Mm -hmm. And another reason is because um, I think it was Dr. Martin Luther King's um, quote, um, be the change you want to see in the world. So that's another reason why I joined the department. That's excellent. That's excellent. And and to have you be you know a young man that that just has that heart and all the things that you just said of of just caring for people like okay so they're waiting for the police to come so I want to be the front line I want to be that person that's the first responder that can be there so that other people can do their jobs and 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 whatever it is as far as protecting and and justice can can happen and uh, so how old were you when you first wanted to be a police officer? Um, I would say, I don't know, how would I say, I would say maybe nine, 19, maybe 19 years old. 
Well, you look like you're about 12 right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I, I get that. It's like, you look, you look so young. I am young. So um, even for me, I remember I was stopped by the gang unit and I didn't like the police at all. You know, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. The police weren't like that much um, there. And um, I don't like them at all. Just from the stuff I hear, the stuff I see stopping people, mostly blacks. Um, I remember I was stopped by a gang unit and I didn't have a light on my bike. And they jumped out on me. Hey, put your hands up. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to the store. You don't have a light on your bike. Are you a gang member or anything like that? You got a gun on you? I'm like, I'm like 18, 17 years old. I'm like, no, like, why are you guys stopping me? Oh, you don't have a light on your bike. It's a violation. Okay. But it's just like, I really felt that they stopped me because I was black. And probably about a half a block later, they jump out on another guy. Hey, put your hands up. I'm like, man, they're just harassing people. You know, this is just crazy. And they actually found a gun on the guy. And I walked past and I looked and he showed me, hey, you know, he had a gun on him and that. I'm like, oh, okay. He didn't have a light on his bike either, but, you know, look what they got out of it. So it kind of opened my mind more like, okay, now I kind of understand why they're, you know, doing, you know, pedestrian stops on little violation, you know, from taillights. So um, it kind of opened up my mind a lot. So... We don't want you to get anything that's, you know, a police creed and confidential stuff that you can't say. But when you have your training, uh, is there anything that you can share with us related to race relations or anything that they go into just uh, related to that subject? Is there anything that's related? Yes, to they touched on that a lot. I was actually surprised. They um, okay. talked about the, um, they even showed this video of the um, Rodney King. They showed us police brutality videos in the academy. Mm -hmm. And they told us, hey, this better not be you. And I was actually surprised. Even as a black man, I was actually surprised how they showed us videos in Academy. Hey, this better not be you. This better not be you. We put our, you know, we put our trust in you. We hired you. This better not be you. Mm -hmm. And it also showed us, um, just for me, I understood. As a black man, there are people from, you know, out of town, um, people that I felt like didn't actually know people, you know, had great lives, great, you know, great parents had money um some people i feel like some people didn't understand but they pushed that a lot through the academy hey you know you might have somebody even a, a victim that is raped um if you're a man you know and you have another partner that's a man um try to get a female officer there try i you are actually um urged to get a female officer there um because some people don't understand even people that have you know mental illness um there's also resources that you can um connect with them so i felt like they did a, a pretty good job with that in the academy um because you, you're not going to know everything you might not have all the experience life experience you might not know so i feel like they did a good job with that and that's something that i think some people don't don't realize you know that that does actually take place or maybe it's not acknowledged that it happens because of what we see by just a small group of police officers you know the people that we're having issues with per se are are not representing the majority of the yeah. officers and so right now uh ladies and gentlemen that are watching on facebook or wherever you may be watching um taiwan's name is spelled t-y-w-o-n and i want you to type we appreciate you, Taiwan. I want you to type that in the comments. We appreciate you, Taiwan, in the comments on Facebook, because guess what? You could have gone into any other profession. You, you are articulate uh, and you uh, have, you know, a way that you carry yourself that seems to be honorable. And you could be probably anything that you want to be, but you chose to be an officer. And 
sounds like a good one as well. You had great motives for wanting to, to do this profession. So we need to be able to have people that we can look up to and, and see and honor that. You know, we have another young lady here that I know that it's a friend of the family that has been doing a number of posts. She's a police officer as well. And uh, everyone is not out to get black people. Everyone is not out to cause harm. A lot of people are in this really to protect and serve. So we really appreciate, you know, all that you have done already. And I just want to put my hand towards the screen and just say, God bless you. It's not time for you to get off yet, but I just want to do this right now. Just to say, you know, God bless you and keep you and protect you and may his face shine upon you and give you peace to be able to be calm whenever there is a time that something is going to come up in your profession because of what you do, because of what you do, there's possibly going to be some things that are going to come up. So I just want to speak uh, peace and safety over you uh, right now in Jesus name and, and, and thank you for, uh, for your service. So uh, before we get off of uh, you as a speaker today, um, do you have any comments, anything that you want to leave as uh, you speaking to the rest of the young, uh, young men out there? I, I would encourage them to talk to a police officer. Um, even before I came on, um, I actually spoke to one. Hey, you know, what is it like? What do you do? Because for me, I'm kind of judging from the outside. And I would just encourage them, encourage them to um, reach out. Have, you know, if you have a brother that's young or anybody looking for a career, tell them to look into it. We need good officers, especially black officers. We need um, very good officers. Even for me, when I'm arresting people or um, talking to people, what was the guy? I arrested him for a burglary. He was like, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I know you're an officer, but thank you so much for being so nice to me. Why are you so nice to me? And it shocked me. I'm like, well, you know, you're already handcuffed. You know, you did what you did. And, you know, that's up to the judge. And just from all the people that I have arrested, they asked me, why are you so nice? And it's just like, wow. And a lot of people think, hey, we need good officers like you. And it's like, from that on, that just makes my day all the time. People tell me that. We need good officers. Thank you so much for being so nice to me. Um, I would encourage people to tell, you know, we need our brothers and sisters. People, you know, we need FBI agents that, you know, that are black. We need people that are um, that are willing to step up and make a difference in their community. For me, I was born and raised in South Central, even from the division I work in. I work in Hollywood Division. And um, I plan on going back and working in, you know, South Central. But we need people that represent the community. There are a lot of officers that are from out of town. And I'm not trying to, you know, dock them because they do come to town. They do their work. Um, they do, you know, protect the community. But we need people from the inside. We need people to protect their own communities. So that's all I'm asking. You can ter uh, tell um, um, somebody from your community, um, hey, you should apply. We need that. Yeah, um, we really do. We really do. And so my husband was uh, was an FBI agent, and he's currently ATF. He's a recruiter, so he wants to uh, – keep in touch with you, maybe not necessarily from a recruitment perspective, but he's in law enforcement as well. So we need to have that unity. And you have, I'm, I'm holding like so many different messages of people that said, we appreciate you, Taiwan. Thank you. Thank so you. Uh, Stefan said it, Talisha, Marlea, Tammy, Hartensia, Mike said it. Uh, Thank Mike. They said it, Edwina said it, Jackie said it, Ben and TJ. Like you have like all these people that are saying that they appreciate you. And uh, it's just an honor, an honor to be able to speak with you, young man. And you just keep doing what you're doing and keep being nice so people that can continue to ask, why are you so nice? That's what we need to have going on in the world today. Some nice 
people, but nice police officers. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. You have a good day. All right. That was awesome to be able to speak to Taiwan on today. And he is doing his as a new officer. So now I am going to bring up Mr. Howard. Are you there? Yeah, you can call me Steven if you want. You're, you're thinking of Steph Curry, the other, the other basketball player. No, I just, I have like three or four of these pronunciations in my mind and I keep messing it up. So I can say Mr. Howard. Can I just call you Mr. Howard so I don't hey, mess this is this is your this is your thing here. I'm, I'm a servant leader, so I'm just here to serve you and, and serve everybody else. So whatever, you know, whatever you want to call me, knock it oh out. Gosh, yeah, yeah. So first of all, don't tell me who I'm thinking of because I was thinking about you. I'm just saying it wrong. I'm just saying it wrong. I'm okay. so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of this and, uh, you know, be able to interact with everybody. Uh, that you have tuning in and, and really to learn from all the other panelists as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you were able to to listen in on some of the ones that, that came before us, uh, but um, it's been some phenomenal conversations. Yes, I have. Um, I enjoyed Taiwan, you know, thank him for his service as well. And, you know, like you said, we do need young men like him to kind of change the direction and, and change the mindset of the police department and you know like you mentioned not all police are bad but you know there's a culture that needs to be changed and a mindset and, and um, a mind shift that needs to occur in the police department that they you know realize that they're there to protect and serve and um, you know not to really dictate um, and and not to you know assert that implicit bias that a lot of them have that they might not even know that they have uh, as, you know, servants of the city. Right, right. And so we've been talking about young men and we've been talking about a number of things. You have, you have daughters, correct? Yes, I do. I am a girl dad, a proud girl dad. Yeah, I'm, I'm a girl mom. My, my, my husband is a proud girl dad. Uh, they're 24 and 26. Um, oh, wow. I, I'm 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 horrible like about all the I don't even remember how old I am half the time, but yeah. So you have girls. So what have you imparted on them? Uh, and if you if you wanted to say their age is fine, if not, it's fine. But you know, as young women, uh, what have you told them or talked to them about related to all that's going on in society today? Anything? Um, well, as far as my oldest, um, she just graduated from Cal Berkeley, and we have a lot of conversations about you know, what's going on in the world, you know, where her place is in the world and, and things that she's going to encounter. And, you know, really, for me, it's just being open and honest about things that have happened to me in, in my life. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I try to help her so that she doesn't have to pay the dummy tax and she can learn from my mistakes and mistakes that other people have made. Um, but I think the biggest thing for her and that I try to impart upon her is just to understand who she is and to never let any type of situation or any crowd detract from the beautiful and intelligent person that she is and to remember that in all situations and to always know what it is that you want to accomplish in life and never let adversity or obstacles deter you from that. Yeah, I think that's so awesome. And uh, part of this, I just remember growing up, um, I'm from Flint, Michigan, and I used to do a lot of things with my dad, a lot of things. He was a runner, 
Uh, and um, sometimes I would ride my bike with him, but he would run, I would run with him too, but he was long distance and I could only make it a mile or two. And so he's, we're talking marathons and things like that, that he would do. But we have all kinds of stories of him in the winter time, you know, coming home with, with uh, the side of his body all covered with dirt and slush because there would be a car that would just zoom past to slush him, you know, and, and make him hurt himself because sometimes he'd come home bloody too, where he had to just stumble, stumble up on the curb to get higher away from the car from getting hit, um, yeah. getting spit on and just different things like mm -hmm. that happen. And so, you know, as a black man in America, this was back in the 70s that that happened, uh, 60s, 70s, 70s when he started running. Um, there's a number of stories I have related to him and even related to myself. So uh, is there anything that you can share that may have been something that you have experienced and then how you've handled it so that we can give people, again, solutions on how to uh, handle different kinds of like race relation kinds of issues? I think one of the biggest things that I can impart upon those that are um, a part of the show and that are listening is really to just do just that, uh, and that's to listen. Uh, mm -hmm. When I was attending my master's, I took this one course called Active Lis Listening, and it really changed my life um, mm -hmm. because it, it really forces you to not listen for a response, uh, but listen to understand. And what the African-American community is trying to um, communicate to America and the world is, again, like you and, and your panelists have said, not that black lives are more important than others, but just black lives matter. And the systematic and um, institutional racism that has occurred, you know, since inception of America has been a part of that. And not saying that everybody is a racist or everyone is bad, um, but that white people have benefited from that systematic oppression. And there are little microaggressions that occur with everyone. And, you know, myself being a athlete and a former academic All-Americans, um, when the announcers would talk about me during a game, they would always talk about how articulate I was or um, how smart I was almost um, to say, you know, hey, you're a credit to your race. And little things like that as if it was a shock that I was smart or articulate, um, that I was different. Um, now as a college basketball analyst, um, I see how those things are kind of disseminated and you'll have an African-American player and he'll be described as athletic and a white player, they will talk about being cerebral. Um, and those are the little things that kind of promote those stereotypes that people, you know, learn and are born with and, excuse me, they're not born with, but they're learned based off of media, movies, and all sorts of um, information that we're bombarded with throughout our lives. And those are the things that I try to educate people on is just really the power of words and little things that you, you say. And I was fortunate to be raised by educators. And so um, you had a question about that? Yeah. So when things like that happen, well, if it's a person announcing over the intercom, there's nothing that you can necessarily say to him right then, but in face to face where you you're able to have a response or a rebuttal um, in a in an articulate way 
Um, well, for me, I just try to um, educate people. And I've, I've actually, I spoke to um, a university about the power of words and just how people are impacted by them. And most people don't understand what they're saying and how it can impact um, certain people. I know when my daughter was in high school, um, she would tell me about how her friends at, at her private school that she was attending would say things like a bad hair day was a fro day. Um, not really understanding that they were just saying that, you know, that natural African-American hair was a bad hair day. And um, just having the conversation with their parents and the girls to let them know that, you know, while you might think you're making a joke, um, these type of words can hurt someone. Right. And, you know, I think that's what people don't understand when, you know, you, you say something like white privilege, it, it, I think it has a bad connotation to a lot of people, but really what that means is when you're watching TV and you see a commercial for a hair product, if you're white, more likely than not, that's going to be for your type of hair, um, your style of hair. But for you or myself, we watch a commercial about hair products. It's not going to be for us. We're going to have to go and search online. We're going to have to go search at the grocery store to a certain um, part of the grocery store. And products are just not made for us, are meant for us. And just something simple as that. Um, or um, growing up, my daughter, we talk about Disney. Um, it took until 2006 for Disney to create a, a character for African-Americans. And that was, you know, Tiana, I believe, the princess and the frog. So up until then, if she wanted to be a princess, she would have to be a white princess. When I grew up, if I wanted to be a superhero, I had to imagine myself as a white superhero. And people don't understand what the power of Black Panther was when that movie came out. That was the first movie Right, Wakanda Forever. That was the first movie that portrayed African Americans in a positive light. And people will say, oh, well, before that, you had plenty of, you know, white superheroes, but all those white superheroes had that white savior that was the person that basically kind of controlled them and, and had them, you know, kind of righted their ship. Um, but you had, you know, Black Panther, and it was a whole community of just super positive, powerful, um, African-Americans that were good and positive. And so that's why I think that rocked the world. And, and it showed that, you know, a, a feature film with African-Americans as leads could be successful, which was, you know, that racism in Hollywood saying that, oh, this wouldn't be successful, but they proved that wrong. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying this conversation with you because you said like so much that I want to respond to. So I'm going to try to see if I can just touch on a couple of different things. We might have to have a, another conversation later on another time if you don't mind. But uh, you mentioned about um, hair. And so one thing that I've noticed uh, is that on Facebook, a lot of people have derogatory comments about the fact that someone asked about their hair, like asked about a black person's hair or even wanted to touch it, as opposed to taking it as an opportunity to share and to conversate and to educate. And so my whole life growing up, I've been around like all different races of people and went to a number of different camps in Michigan and Canada and stuff. So people did want to touch my hair, and but I didn't get upset about it except for, you know, if their hands were were dirty looking and like, don't, don't touch me. But 
it's, it's a time that we can use to educate. And it even happened when we went to Africa, the little African kids, you know, wanted to, wanted to touch our hair too, because um, it may have looked a little bit different than what their hair looked like. And so we as, as blacks or as, you know, people who are, have all different kinds of things that are about our race and our ethnicity have to not take everything as an offense. And I'm just mentioning that because I have seen comments like, I can't believe they wanted to, to touch my hair. And so we can take it as an educational opportunity, like one of the things that you said. And I did thoroughly. Well, just, can I just say something about that? And I think one of the things that bothers people when that happens, and this could be, and I, I agree with you, you can use this as a, as a point to educate people. But from the other side, there's also a way to approach someone to ask them about their hair that doesn't humanize them. And for so long, African-Americans were treated and viewed as subhuman. So it was almost like a circus act where there were times when African-Americans were put in circuses, just like, oh, wow, look at this, let's touch this. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, the part, you know, where you can educate, like there's a certain way to um, ask someone and to bring up a conversation of like, right. I like your hair. How do you do that? You know, what does it feel like as opposed to just going up to you and just saying, wow, like, what is this? And just not even asking your permission, getting into that personal space. But I do agree with so you. Right. So right. So right. Yeah, there, there's a way. There's a way. And um, a lot of this does go back to the governmental part, like you were saying about being treated as, as subhuman or not even human. So why do you don't even have rights because you're not human. If the Constitution Declaration of Independence was written for humans and you're not even human. So, you know, right. we can we don't want to necessarily go there. But the last thing I want to talk about was you mentioned uh, the the movie and the fact that his sister was an engineer, I'm an engineer. So I was just so, so excited just to see all of the, the, the science and the technology part of it, as well as the superhero part and just how they did the movie was just excellent. It was excellent. And um, again, with that, sometimes people don't understand, you know, why people and black people were so excited about that movie. Um, but it's how we've been portrayed for so long and to be able to have something that shows the intelligence, shows the, the warrior aspect and the superhero aspect. I think it was a phenomenal movie. I think they did a really great job. Yeah, and I, and I think that's also one of the things that needs to be implemented into schools. And that's one of the things that I worked on with my master's in leadership was creating a culturally responsive and responsible curriculum for schools is, you know, when... African-American kids or Latino kids, when they're growing up, everything that they learn is white history. A lot mm -hmm. of that history that we've, you know, come to learn in the, in the you know, current time is not necessarily true. And so being able to have for African-Americans something more than just um, African-American history, which really just talks about overcoming slavery, that's not what African-Americans are about. You know, they created some of the greatest civilizations in the world in Africa. And so one of the things with Black Panther, it really created that pride for African-Americans and that self of worth that sometimes escapes us as a culture. Because, you know, throughout all the years of slavery and the oppression that follows, that was literally beating, beaten out of us as a people and trying to regain that and understanding that, look, we do have self-worth. We are people. We you know, are not an inferior race, an inferior culture, and showing those things 
in history, um, like the movie Hidden Figures, um, and just talking about the different things that as an African culture has been created. And you even look at, you know, the map in the globe, most people don't realize that Africa is bigger than everything, but that's been created in that kind of Eurocentric view um, to show white civilization and white superiority, to show that it's just so much bigger than Africa, but really Africa, you could put the US, um, United States and Africa, and it still wouldn't even encompass half of it. Right. I didn't even know that. And so, you know, educating and learning things like that for people, I think is so beneficial, particularly African-Americans, to create that self-worth, that pride in themselves, um, so that as a community, we can kind of um, come together and right some of the ills that systematic oppression and racism has caused upon the African-American community. Right, yeah, and um, we um, have to, to end, our end our time here today, but I do wanna touch base with you on some of what you mentioned about leadership and even some of what we've been talking about about history because one of the initiatives out of this solidarity narrative is in relation to the books that are used in schools, is related to you know rewriting, not rewriting it as far as putting things in that are untruth, but putting truth into our school system so Absolutely. people can learn real American history, real world history, because this that we have that, that we grew up on uh, did not um, scratch the surface, did not scratch the surface at all. So um, I would love to, to talk to you about that further um, at some point, but thank you so much for being a part of our narrative today. Do you have like one 30 second final comment? No, just uh, I appreciate you know, being on this, um, you know, Zoom call and this um, educational opportunity, and and I hope everyone enjoyed it. And you know, I'm I'm a servant leader. I teach servant leadership, so you know, I'm here to serve. So whichever way and however I can help you or assist you, you know, just let me know. Okay, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, bye bye, Miss G. Hi, Crystal. Hi, how are you? Great, great. Thank you awesome. for having me. Awesome. Uh, have you been able to listen to any of the speakers today? I heard Dom and the closing um, comments from Stephen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. really powerful. Really powerful. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. So, so you and I were on together the other day just to kind of give some opening comments about what the, the summit would be about. And we're working on a couple of things to, to get uh, Mike um, back on here to spend some time with us. But you and I met through Mike Diamond. And I want you to just uh, tell people a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into a few questions. Sure. Um, I am a highly sensitive person. So I was hoping that everyone would join me in kind of coming down to my level. I think that through these conversations, we can really get into the thinking mind, intellectualizing what's happening. So I'd like to take a moment for all of us to come into the feeling body. And I'll, I'll guide us through that. So just sitting in any way that is comfortable for you. I like to have palms resting down on my knees with eyes soft and gaze downward, eyes open so that we can be a part of this experience and just begin to feel the rise and fall of your body with each breath. Feel and allow that expansion and contraction with each inhale and exhale. 
And now dropping down from the thinking mind into the feeling body with each exhale. If you'd like making your exhale longer than your inhale. And let's just do three more like this together, making the exhale longer than the inhale. Coming into your embodied experience. And after your third long exhale, lifting the gaze and noticing where your body is making contact with the chair, be your bottom or your thighs or your feet on the floor, feeling palms on knees and feeling in the body, in the human experience right now as you are embodied. And I can't explain why, but this is how I have maneuvered through the world is very sensitive and embodied feeling textures of energy, my own energy, the energy around me. And um, so my work has been, um, I'm a natural healer. I try to avoid doing that probably because of cultural conditioning, not really welcoming um, that uh, perspective or those gifts. So I studied psychology and did brain research and was pre-med in college. Um, and then I began meditation and I went through my own um, difficult experiences. And I worked in finance and open businesses, which is how I got to know Mike and really saw much of the world. And for the past 10 years, I've been teaching meditation, doing healing work, and specifically working with people who have complex traumas. And so I'm excited to be a part of this conversation because as I mentioned, many times it can get up into the intellectualization of what's happening. And from what I can see, this is our cultural conditioning. This is the flavor of whiteness, is to intellectualize what's happening. And there's a lot of suffering that has arisen out of this. Yeah, there has. Mm -hmm. A lot of suffering, and, and a lot of it is where we, um, as, I, as I was saying earlier, um, just the, I'm making words right now, you know, talking, but, but really inside, it's, it's, just, it's just painful. It's just painful, mm -hmm. heartbreaking, heartbreaking, and, and it always has been. My husband talks about, you know, how I, how I cry when I pray and, and just really mm -hmm. just pouring out my heart to God, you know, about various situations my whole life. You know, we've been married for 28 years, and, and that's one of the things that he mentioned. And, and right now, it's, 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 it's very, very heavy. So, so with, with what you do as part of your work, um, what have you been helping to lead people through uh, during these last several months specifically with coronavirus and with all of the racial unrest? It's been a, um, as you alluded to, it's a, a complex time, right? Feelings of 
deep sadness for so many people. I can speak from um, the, the experience of, of an ally who's been engaged in this work for quite some time, but there's a, a deep sadness that, um, that the world is newly waking up to what has been happening. And we are hearing more voices and hearing more experiences of pain. So there's the, the felt experience and pain that has been carried by generations for those who um, are a part of um, oppressed and marginalized groups. Then there's the, the pain that those who love them are feeling. Then there's the pain of those who don't understand and are resisting understanding for their own fear. Um, it, it's my perspective that this fear is rooted in white fragility and identity and wanting to keep things as they know them, right? So there's a lot of pain that is present in the felt experience right now that isn't always um, something that people can articulate. So people who have been coming to me have talked about things like having a lot of anxiety or being really tired. And as a deeply sensitive person, I sense into like what's beneath the layers that I think most other people are experiencing. And so what, what I sense and feel in those deeper layers is a bit of relief for having these conversations, such sadness of the history and what people have been carrying for so long, the feeling of like a release valve for many people and uncertainty, you know, where is this going? Is this really a time of change? Can I get my hopes up that change is actually going to happen? And then all of those who are in helping roles who are carrying this load while also serving others, right? So there's, there's a lot going on. And the way that it's been showing up in my work is that people are feeling unrest for the most part. They can't always articulate it. And because of the... Um, the combination of people being home due to COVID and acknowledging that there's stress around that and uncertainty. And then the, um, the racial unrest that we're, we're now experiencing, I'm able to use more direct language in helping people. So now we're able to talk about things like generational trauma. We're able to talk about, use the word black, use the word white, Right. And it makes it still makes people uncomfortable. But these kinds of words are more a part of the discussion. And so we're able to um, get to the heart of what's been happening at a more granular level instead of saying things like with all that's happening in the world. Right. Now we can say specifically the racism towards black people that has been a part of our American, our U.S. history. I mean, the fact that we call ourselves Americans is also telling. Right. I mean, right. this whole side of the world, these are all Americans, but us, the, the white settlers have claimed American and that's what we are. And we have this American dream. There's a lot of work for us to do. Right. And we're finally able to have these discussions more openly. There's still a lot of work to do, but. Yeah. yeah. And um, I want to say something about that, but you said something that resonated. I want those that are listening to, to type this in. There's still a lot of work to do type that in, that there's still a lot of work to do so that we can put your name uh, in, our, in our bowl here. And one thing I wanna mention is uh, the word American and America, as you mentioned, because you know, there were people here before the settlers came and there were people here, you know, people, actual real people, not just that you call them something else, they were people. And so when I think back to elementary school and, and I'm, 
I've always been a learner. I'm still, a, a, I call myself a perpetual student. But I think about some of my book reports from elementary school and, and Lewis and Clark and, you know, just all the different things that, that, that we learned. And then now that I'm an adult and now that even some of these things are going on, I'm researching more and I'm doing more of which I always have because of, of just being who I am. And, and it's disheartening to know that our children are still being taught in school one America when there's really another America that, that they're not being taught about. Okay, and especially related to, you know, black people, if we talk about, you know, Black Wall Street or, or even uh, Rosewood or Wilmington, North Carolina, just different things that are untaught in history that should be a part of what our children are learning. And so we have a responsibility to, to do just exactly what you said, you know, just to bring ourselves to a point where, you know, we are calm enough and have courage enough to get rid of our fears and to, to have a conversation, have a conversation. So that's what this narrative is about and that's what some of the other things uh, are about that we'll be doing in the future are not just having conversations like that, but when we talk about solutions, what you do for a living is one of the things that will really help us. Let's bring ourselves to a state of, um, there's several different words that are coming to my mind. I was going to say a state of mental uh, rest because there's a lot of unrest going on, but bring ourselves to a state where we can actually verbalize what's going on inside of us. And it took a lot for me to uh, talk to Mike and talk about even having this narrative because there's been a lot of things that I have not done leading up to, uh, I guess, over the last two, three, four, five weeks, um, meaning it's been hard to go to work. It's been hard to talk to clients. It's been hard to mentor. It's been hard to even having a conversation with my husband. It's hard for me even to verbalize this sentence that I'm saying right now um, because I can feel I'm about to get choked up. But because it's, it's, it's gets to a point where you're like, this is just too much. It's too much. But rather than focusing on that, we're focusing on solutions. What is it that we can do one person at a time to bring solutions to you know what's going on so uh with that being said uh, what is something that you can give us today just that we can hold on to maybe as a methodology that you have or just a final thought that can help us in this time of unrest i'm glad that you mentioned what you are feeling at this time and how that's impacting your um, presence in the world right now and that's the first step that I want everyone to look at, which is what am I feeling at this time? And to go into the felt experience and to recognize a resistance in doing so. It's not professional, right? Let's stuff the feelings in. Feelings aren't helpful. It doesn't help to get angry. That's all white conditioning. That is all white fragility. And we have to acknowledge that in order to move past it. There are people who are carrying um, generational trauma and there's indication that we are carrying seven generations worth of experience. So there's, when we see, for example, a young black boy act up in school, act up in school, instead of punishing that little boy, let's hold him with a knowing that he is carrying seven generations of oppression, possibly including slavery. 
that is what is alive for him in that moment of stress. His stress response is literally tied to the stress that seven generations have carried. So I think that our first step is understanding that and acknowledging it so that then we can um, move forward. But the, the first step is to, to recognize the, the white conditioning, the white fragility that we are all resistant because our reality will change when we do this. Life as we know it, our identity, everything will change and we have to be willing to go there. Yeah, and so that brought me to two terms, generational wealth and generational stress. Generational wealth that some families can have conversations about and generational stress that is suppressed and not talked about. We have a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do, and I really appreciate uh, all you do in, in bringing up some of the points that you did. Um, that, that's going to stick with me. It's going to stick with me. Thank you so much for being, uh, being with us today. Thank you, Crystal. I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Reverend Patrick. How you doing, Crystal? I'm doing okay. I got to bring myself down at, after Miss, Miss Gee over there, the generational wealth and generational stress um, that came into my, my spirit right here just kind of got me. Um, with yeah, this, yeah. Seven generations. I'm like, wow. So, um, yeah. so yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I can tell, you know, it's a lot of these, you know, this conversation in general is something that's really causing a lot of emotions, ups and downs and thoughts and, and, and things of that nature. So I get it. I get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have some people that resonated with a couple things here. I just want to read off the names and thank you all. Uh, I asked you to type in, we have work to do. So thank you, Mike. Thank you, Christopher. Uh, Carice, thank you. Uh, Jackie, Danae, thank you all so much for, for saying that we have work to do. So can you introduce yourself to um, our listeners today? And um, we'll go into some questions. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, first of all, let me just say I'm, I'm so thankful to be here. And uh, thank you, Crystal, for um, putting this together. I think that during this tumultuous time, this is a huge these type of things are what we need to be doing. I mean, I appreciate, you know, the conversation in general, setting that up, but also the diversity of persons that are involved. And I think we need to have these kind of conversations to go forward. Uh, as far as me, uh, my name is Dr. Patrick Thompson. Um, I am a, uh, I'm a pastor, uh, itinerant preacher. I am a uh, naturopathic physician and activist as well. I'm currently residing in Miami, Florida, originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I am the founder and what I like to call the chief healing officer of Whole Kingdom Wellness, which is a holistic solutions uh, uh, concierge practice that I do, that I have. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking for solutions. I, I, I love to have conversations like this. Um, you know, like I said, I'm a naturopathic physician, but I'm also um, a seminary trained, um, ordained Baptist preacher. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm glad to be here with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So I would like to uh, just start out the conversation um, related to the fact that we have um, a number of people that uh, believe that there is no problem. They believe that there's nothing going on, that this is all just made up. And so what do you have to share with us today to help make this uh, more real for people? Yeah, uh, you know, um, you know, my, 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 uh, understanding of all this and my suggestion is to say hey listen you know everybody you know we all kind of kind of have our own experience in in the world 
Um, and it's really, you know, some of us have had certain privilege, and, and I think that's an important word to main, you know, keep kind of bringing up because of the certain privilege that some people enjoy in this in this country uh, that allow them not to be able to or have to see certain things. Um, and, uh, you know, um, when you don't, you know, it it, 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 it puts you in a bubble of, of, of thinking that the world look everywhere looks like the way that you see it. Okay. Um, I can re yeah. And so, and so, um, you know, when, when, when you begin to open yourself up to that, then you begin to see that there's some things that, uh, you may, you may live in a nice suburban area, you know, uh, and, 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 uh, everybody may live in, you know, six bedroom homes, et cetera, et cetera, and drive fancy cars. But the reality is that everybody's life is not like that. And there are some experiences beyond what you have that need to be, that need to be acknowledged. They need to be acknowledged, um, um, you know. And I, and I, you know, I, I remember having a, you know, uh, when I was a, 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 when I was a campus pastor at Duke University, you know, I took some students down to uh, do some hurricane relief. This was around right after Hurricane Katrina hit, and uh, there was a student there from a very well-to-do white white male student, very well-to-do family. Uh, you know, I don't know, I, I don't remember exactly what his family was, but he was very well off. And I remember us passing some trailer parks. And, uh, you know, I remember having this conversation with him. He looked at me with this incredulous look like he said, people live there? What? You know, I mean, you know, he, he just could not believe it, you know. And, and so he'd never seen anything like that. So I understand now, even from a political perspective, when, uh, you know, people, you know, we use those terms, we and us, oftentimes we're talking about different people. Right, right. And that's, and that's because, you know, we have different experiences. Um, you know, and we don't see the world the same way and don't, and don't acknowledge that these things do. And, and you know, um, I, I can say for sure that, you know, when people say this stuff doesn't exist, I can tell you, hey, bro, <laughs> I know it exists because I've experienced it in my own lifetime. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, I, I, and, and, and that's why I love these kind of conversations because it allows people to not just hear those things being said or hear, but they can, you know, hear it secondhand, but they can look you in the eye and say, hey, I can, I can look them in the eye and say, look, hey, let me let me let you know what the deal is. Mm -hmm. And it, it does, it's real. Um, for not just me, but for a lot of people that look like me and for those, you know, who do not enjoy the same privilege that certain people do. Right, right. And so um, there was one of the speakers that mentioned that some people have a derogatory or a negative view when you say, uh, when people talk about white privilege. And um, it's something the same as, as saying that a person is ignorant, but the, the actual meaning of that is, you know, also like a person just doesn't know whatever it is. And so having white privilege or saying, speaking of those terms, in my opinion, is just bringing to light something that has been going on the whole time. There was a, I think it was Saturday Night Live that had mm -hmm. the, the person who put on the white makeup and the person told him, oh, just take the cookie or just take the newspaper. Oh, you don't have to pay for the meal. Oh, you know, and just, right, right, right. just making it, you know, bigger than it actually, you know, is per right. se. A lot of that stuff does happen, but that stuff has yeah. happened. I'm, I'm black and I've been told to, you know, oh, oh, it's okay. You don't have to pay, you know, different things that happen, but, but more so, it is something that happens maybe on the white side. And even with um, my friend mm -hmm. John, he was able to walk away from some of those initial crimes before he actually got put in jail. But some of his other mm -hmm. friends, black and Hispanic friends, were not right. able to walk away. 
So more and more of these kinds of stories that come out that are not just stories. These are real life. These are the real life experiences. So um, is there a, is there a um, kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, but I know I'm probably not. Is there a scripture that comes to mind, a scripture that comes to mind that is something that can help us uh, from a solution perspective? Um, well, you know, um, well, if, you know, from a spiritual perspective, you know, I mean, for me, I love the scripture, you know, it says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and so for me, you know, um, I had to examine, you know, well, 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 what's, what's, you know, what I, what I see is going on. It, it lets me know the world's need for God, the world's need for the love of God, the world's need for, um, uh, to be centered around, uh, you know, God's spirit. And what it says to me is that, you know, there are a lot of institutions and things. I mean, we, we live in a country that says in God, we trust on the money, (laughs) but, but, but when we look at that, you know, and we look at the consistent pattern that occurs in a country, you know, uh, in the way the way that it does, I mean, you know, we gotta say that you know this spirit of God in which we 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 claim to to have followed and, and to be dwelling on, uh, you know, th- there seems to be uh, you know maybe it's not on on track the way that we think or would hope it is, and so and so uh, you know to me that you know that that spirit of God. I mean, when I search the scriptures in general, you know, I I. You know, and and, I, and that's why I say that scripture, the spirit of God, the spirit of God, there's liberty. What I've learned is that there's a consistent narrative or, or in the in the scriptures that show that whenever the spirit of God shows up in the scripture, there's always a change that takes place. Mm-hmm. Everywhere you find in the scripture, there's a there's a change that happens from the beginning to the end. You know, uh, you know, you look in Genesis. You know, and the, the the Bible says that the spirit of God was upon the waters, and then in the next sentence, you talk. You know, uh, the creation is, is starting, <laughs> right? Uh, you look at the life of Jesus when when Jesus was beginning his earthly ministry. Uh, the scriptures tell us about how the, the spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. Okay, and that's the, what's the beginning of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And so, and so that's why, I, for me, uh, there needs to be an enveloping of the spirit of God, the spirit of love, uh, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding that can help us to grow. Into into the hum, the humans that we were created to be, mm-hmm. and yeah. and I think that we see a we see a consistent narrative uh, that 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 bears witness to the that spirit is not uh, where it is is not at the level it needs to be in our world. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and, and when, when we look and, and go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, as as a closing comment for you. Um, what do you feel, this is a big question, but what do you feel is the responsibility of the church based on the uh, unrest that's happening in the world today? 30 seconds. <laughs> okay, all right. You know, I'm a Baptist priest. It's hard. It's hard. Uh, <laughs> but, let me, you know, for me, you, you, you know, the, the church has to be the light and the, and the soul that it's called to be. You know, we got to be honest and we got to not avoid those the things that we seem to be controversial. We got to speak the truth, whether it hurts or not. Particularly, and I'm and I'm speaking particularly to you know uh, white Christians, white evangelical Christians. In my opinion, though, I mean a lot. Of, and I've talked to some pastors. I'm not I'm not coming off the cuff. And some of them are not speaking about this because they fear retribution from their from their members. 
And so we got to be honest about it. If you are truly the body of Christ, then whoever the body of Christ is, whether they're white, black, purple, green, or fuchsia, you when they hurt, you hurt, and you got to speak so that the, the, the righteousness and justice of God prevails in the earth. And that's and that's where I see it. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, there's a the a pastor who. Um, there were two pastors, I guess, and, and one was white, one was black, and they turned the, the church over to the black pastor to, to grow the church, but mm-hmm. uh, everybody was not obviously down with that, but you know, they have like tons and tons of members now based mm-hmm. on people who understand the reason behind that, but right. everybody's not down with that particular transition. And I think mm-hmm. the more that, that we can come together and not be afraid to talk about race, but talk about it in a way that talks uh, in relation to solutions and unity and peace. Um, right. And uh, that is what I think that we should be talking about um, because right. I've written a book called Celebrate the Things That Make Us One. And it's a mm-hmm. book I wrote you know, a long time ago about the various different things, all the different countries I've been to and how we can always find ways to look at the things that are different but who's mm-hmm. celebrating the things that actually make us one and unite us? And so right. when we have conversations like this, that, that always brings that book back to mind. So um, you and I have to get together yeah. a number of things that I would like to talk to you about, but I really, really appreciate you being on and being a part of this. And um, we will be back in touch soon. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Pleasure. God bless you. All right. God bless you as well. All right now. All right. So we thank... Uh, Reverend Dr. Thompson for being on. And uh, I wanted to just kind of go over just a couple things with you related to our narrative. Uh, We appreciate you being on. We are going to have where there's um, other narratives that we will have. There'll be some things related to other speakers. Uh, There's initiatives related to um, school materials, related, uh, related to putting together groups that want to write related to history, that want to write related to what's going on now, but also related to the things that have already transpired that is not taught in schools. And so all of this is to help us to have more unity, more solidarity, and to step up to our responsibility to take this chance and this opportunity that we have to to make better choices, to have better information out there, to open up and have the narrative because a lot of people are afraid to have uh, these types of conversations. A lot more of it is happening now, um, praise God for that. But um, there's still people that say that there's not a problem and just try to just ignore it and maybe all of this is going to go away. So what we're talking about is short-term and long-term solutions. And we want to continue to keep this narrative open because the more that we talk, the more that we have people that join with us from various walks of life, the more um, change that we can make. And when change comes, then that just means that we can have a better world. And it may not be that we wake up tomorrow and that this is something that happens, but it is where we can do our part. We can do our part. So what I wanna do right now is to bring on Reverend Daryl Henry. Uh, Are you there, sir? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am blessed. I am blessed. Thank you so much. Thanks for being on today. Uh, grateful to be here. Awesome experience. I've listened to uh, all of the speakers from beginning to now, and I got to say that everybody has done a marvelous job. I think that you guys are doing an awesome work. 
And I think that it will make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not as fast as we want, but I think change is coming. Yes, yes. And and I just appreciate you and I want to go ahead and give the name of your name of your church and what you do. I want to talk about a couple of initiatives that you have. Okay. Name of our church is Abundance of Rain Christian Church. Um, we are located in South Phoenix. We consider ourselves to be hope dealers. Uh, that's primary function we have is reaching out to the community to share the love of God and to share uh to bring people back to a place of dignity. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because you have issues doesn't mean that you don't have shouldn't have respect. Right, right. And so you have uh, a mixed congregation and you have where you go out on the streets and doesn't matter, you know, what what color you are, it doesn't matter any of that. You you all go out and you help people, um, whether it's clothes, food, giving them a word from God, whatever it is that they need, um, you're out there on the street. So can you can you talk a little bit about what you do as Hope Dealers? Because it's very, very important. Uh, because, I sure can. Yeah. First of all, um, as Hope Dealers, we made a decision uh, that we were going to go out when the people who most needed help were out. So we go out at night. Um, we go out, we start about nine o'clock. We have a truck. Uh, we keep a, free, a grill on the truck. We bring food, clothes, and of course, the word of God to people on the street. Um, we hang out right by Circle K on 16th Street and Southern in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And we are there to uh, touch the lives of people and give them hope. We actually connected with several entities and places where. Uh, we don't yet have a home to send them, but we do have places that we are uh, in conjun- work in conjunction with where we can send people to actually get them off the street. Um, and not just a homeless ministry, but we're trying to reach everybody with the love of God. Um, our purpose um, comes out of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, um, the first chapter, he received a report from his colleagues and his, his home folks that their place and their people were in reproach. And our purpose is to, the same as Nehemiah, to rebuild walls and restore gates. Um, the walls and gates that have been the uh, building blocks and the keeping of our society. And we do that through sharing with people the love of God. But not only the love of God, we share with them their purpose and what their purpose as person should be in God. Uh, since God made us, we ought to go to him to find out who we need to be and what we need to be. Um, we have had um, pretty good experiences with law enforcement. Uh, we had some uh, officers to stop by and get on the grill with us and stop by and share with us. Uh, one night we had five or six police cars sitting in the lot. and um, But we also realized and recognized that there is an issue that is built in our society that has taken away um, the dignity of many people and made them feel like they're less than what God has created them to be. So we were trying to uh, bring back uh, the joining and the, 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 the camaraderie of the community and giving back them their dignity and then helping law enforcement to realize um, you, you're here to serve and protect and it's not your job to demean or belittle a person because they live in the same neighborhood you live in. They live in the same community you live in. So how can you make your neighbor 
who pays the same for their house feel less than you. You know, and then also we've had discussions with the police on helping them to realize as a public servant, and we all need to realize this, as public servants, we work for the people. The people don't work for us. So we don't have the right to treat them, even if we thought we were better than them. How can you be better than the person you work for? Because that person in turn becomes your boss. And and how can you, uh, even as a pastor, how can you be better than the sheep when the sheep are more important than you? It's your job to make sure that they have what they need and they are raised in the right mind and right mindset to become the productive and blessed people that God wants them to be. Um, Jesus led from the bottom, not the top. Yeah, and I want to interrupt there to have people type this in. Uh, hope dealers, we all could be hope dealers in our own way, uh, bringing hope and peace and unity to our communities. And so uh, he has a song that's one of my favorite songs that he sings related to hope dealers, hope dealers. And uh, But go ahead and type that in because that's what we all should be. And then we'll put your name uh, in our unity bowl right here. So uh, one thing I want to talk to you about, Pastor, is the fact that um, you mentioned about public servants. And um, I've had uh, my run-in with, you know, officers, uh, police officers, and then the um, park rangers, I guess. Yeah. So as we go out and serve the homeless, um, I don't want anybody to think I had to run in with police for something I was doing wrong necessarily. But, you know, we we serve the homeless. We go out on the streets. We, we, we cook two to 300 meals and have where we serve that in a gym. We used to do that when it was um, when we were able to meet together. So now we just go out on the streets. And some of them have been very nice. And some of them have come with a straight attitude. And so it has not been every time, but it's something that, that does occur. And like you said, you've had where you have had five or six up uh, cars uh, police cars there with the officers sharing with you with the meal. So is there anything that you can help help us with as far as maybe some some advice for people when you're when you're out on the streets, how you should act? Because if you are just, I guess I would say, you know, just straight up acting foolish, your outcome with what you're doing would be different. And just because you're a pastor doesn't mean that 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 you always have a level head. A lot of you know some pastors do have a hot temper too. But you're very eloquent in your speech, and you have a demeanor that that helps with that. So what what advice can you give people that when they're out on the streets doing whatever they're doing, how they should act or respond um, when an officer may come? Uh, the first thing I would say is um, you have to know. Um, well, not necessarily no, but you need to understand um, what this officer may have been dealing with all day. Um, right. And it's not your fault. It's not. It's not a necessarily. It's not always a good thing. Some officers come out with the predisposed notion that you know I'm going in here and I'm gonna you know keep these so and sos in line, and they come out with the attitude. But the the thing that we do um, first of all is we have designated people who will talk to the officer um, because some people in our group are real hot and, and, and you can't blame them. They've been through a lot <laughs> dealing with the police, especially in South Phoenix. And then you need somebody who is designated to talk to the officer who is going to have a calm demeanor. And our purpose is to defuse them. Uh, most time they come seeking, like they trying to defuse the situation, but they don't know 
we're defusing them. So we speak to them in terms of going to them and we immediately let them know who we are, what we're doing, what we stand for, why we are where we are. And then we begin to ask them questions, uh, what can we do for them? Um, and and sometimes it's hard to do that because when they have bad attitude, you want to tell them, look, you know, you need to just leave us alone. We're not bothering you. But the fact is, um, they're going to be there all the time. And, and we're not trying to make enemies with them. And we're not trying to upset them. But we also want them to understand that we're not here to be disrespected. We're not here to be walked on. But that first thing is designating the people who will speak to the officers and make sure your team know um, if you're the hot shot, you, you just stay over there with the grill and let those who are designated to uh, speak to the officers. The second thing is make sure as a leader that you have some kind of contact with the city officials and uh, leaders of the police force where you can, if you need to, have a conversation with them and say, hey, we are doing what we got to do. And, you know, this particular officer is continuing to, you know, bring us grief. And we really just, we don't know what to do with that. And then put the ball in their court and mm-hmm. cause them to have to get up and deal with it. Because, you know, us dealing with it only causes us to get arrested or there'll be an incident like the ones we're having now where we just don't want. So mm-hmm. we bring in their leadership. Um, and, and not to, you know, we ain't trying to tell on you, but the fact is there's some stuff that we can't handle and they should be the person that is able to handle that. And then lastly, we pray and we only go where God leads us to go. Uh, we don't go to a place just because we say, oh, wow, there's a lot of people here need help because God didn't send you everywhere and everybody's not set for every situation. Uh, but we've been very successful where we were. We've moved around a couple of times where we found out that right on that corner is where God sent us. That's the corner we started on. And we left a couple of times going to work with other ministries and other places. And it didn't work for us. But knowing who's going to talk to the police, having that relationship with their leadership and then defusing them uh, and making them comfortable. I mean, give them a hot dog when they first walk up, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so having a designated person, I think, is key. That was that was really, really great advice, having a designated person um, and being able to diffuse situations when they when they may arise. You, you have to have people that have the, the proper words and, and demeanor to be able to do that. So I appreciate all that you do and uh, really appreciate you being a part of the summit. And glad to be here having other conversations um, that I will be letting you know about. So thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So that was the Reverend Daryl Henry. We really appreciate him uh, being a part of our, our time today. I'm going to pull up our next speaker, Miss Holly. I just want to say that um, the last thing that I was having you do was to put Hope Dealers. So hopefully you did that and join in on some of the conversation. If you do have questions, if you do have some things that you would like to know from the various speakers, feel free to, to let us know and we can 
um, get that information to them. If there's anyone specifically that you wanted to connect with, we can do that as well. So as far as typing in Hope Dealers, I'd like to thank Christopher, Carlise, and Marlea, Jacqueline, Amanda, Geraldine, and Danae um, for typing that in. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, hey, Miss Holly, how are you? I'm so energized from this whole conversation. And I have to tell you, because I have been on since the beginning, listening to everyone, just absorbing and processing mm -hmm. all of the deliciousness that is being shared. So my, just as I knew I was coming up, my um, AirPod made that little sound where the, uh, it was running out of battery. And I was like, oh, no, not now. <laughs> so anyway, I got a little bit of um, juice on it. So thank you so much for, um, again, um, it's so nice to connect with you and everyone. And Mike, thank you for um, extending the invitation for me to be a part of this. I have a lot to say, so I don't know if you want to ask questions or you want me to just go at it or what. <laughs> go for it, and then I can ask a few questions. Okay, because I mean, everyone had so much value, and I'm a huge believer in the intrinsic value that we all have. You know, it is not a color thing. It is an energy thing, um, and one of the biggest things that we, um, I guess I took a lot of notes, so I wanted to, um, yeah, I can piggyback off of everyone, really. I mean, sure. it was such, such great value. Um, but the one thing I wanted to say was that, you know, we are where we are, where we are right now um, for a reason. Um, it's because it is the valuable contrast that we need in order to evolve as human beings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can't be where we are without first being where we were. And we can't be to the next place until we are where we are now. So there's a lot of power in the present moment, which is, you know, my area of expertise, uh, working with your emotions and your energy and teaching us how to, to hone that. Um, one of the things also that I want to say is that, you know, we have to have a willingness to let go of the past, what is no longer working for us, mm -hmm. and a willingness to embrace the new. Because mm -hmm. the pain comes, the pain that Jonah was talking about, the pain that so many of the other speakers were, you know, maybe uh, hinting to, comes from when we hold on to the things that, like I said, we are no longer, you know, working for us. So the tighter we hold on, you know, that there's a saying, the white knuckle um, saying, where you're holding on so tight, the tighter you hold on, the more pain you cause. Mm -hmm. So we have become conditioned to accept suffering and pain, you know, and I'm here to say that is not the way we don't have to do that. Not, not, that's an old saying that we need to let go of. We need to embrace the wealth within, the emotional wealth within, the power, the abundance, no one can take away our value unless we first allow them to take it. We have to align with it on some level. So, so what, what I wanted to, to jump in here and say then is that, you know, some people, you mentioned holding on, you know, white mm -hmm. knuckle holding on, and you mentioned the words let go, let go. Mm -hmm. 
And so there's a number of things that we need to let go right now as a human race, you know, letting go of racism, letting go of not being accepting of people, letting go of always thinking um, that everything is because of of the color of our skin. Some things right. are, but some things are, are not. Uh, my husband had something, I don't know if it was some chicken nuggets or some something that he was saying that someone brought up the fact that he only got five out of, not my husband with the chicken nuggets, it's a story he told. It was because the guy was black that he only got the five nuggets instead of six or something like that. Like everything is not because of race. And some things um, are, but some things are not. So uh, there's a lot of things that are just dividing us, which are because there's things that we're not letting go. And some things we didn't even know we had in order to let them go, right? Um, some people were just born with certain thought processes and patterns and prejudices that they didn't even know about. So what I want people to type into the comments right now is let go. Type in let go. That had to do with something that Holly said. So I really appreciate him. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, saying that. So what are some of the things that you do that help people like right now because a lot of people are going through a lot of things and so with your coaching and everything that you do are there certain things that you're approaching and doing right now related to helping people get through this time yes absolutely um really tuning into your emotional energy understanding how your emotions work why we have the emotions redirecting that energy um towards positive things, being very uh, open to receiving what we are learning because every moment, this moment non-exclusive, is a great opportunity for growth. Um, it's like this big gateway that has opened up for us to grow and evolve as human beings. So being able to be less uh, reactive and more responsive. I mean, there's so many things I can relate to. My father was a police officer um, for nine years, and he experienced a lot of, you know, what we would call racial, you know, issues and things like that, where he was hazed to the point where he wound up leaving the police force. I have other family members that are in law enforcement. Um, but the one thing I can say is, you know, he never really held on to that. It was all about growth and being aligning ourselves with the things that support us um, and being able to discern, like you were talking about, that everything is not always about it's not a personal thing. It's not a color thing because it could be somebody was just having a bad day. I had an incident with an officer who um, came to our door for a parking issue. And he was, he was pretty crabby. I didn't know if it was the morning, he didn't have his coffee or whatever. And I was very pleasant and I'm trying to get my kids off to school. And, you know, he was very rude to me. Um, it didn't matter what I was saying or how nice I was, you know. Um, and he just, you know, he had this attitude, like you said, he came and I, you know, and I, I didn't feel it was personal, but I did feel it was rude. So I did actually go to the local um, police department and have a, a word with his superior. But it wasn't about anything other than his demeanor towards me as just a human being. Mm -hmm. So I didn't take it personal. So the power that we have, you know, what I teach people and what we all could benefit from learning from is the ability to discern you know, when something is personal, what we're taking on, 
uh, discerning what our beliefs are that really aren't our beliefs, beliefs that were we inherited, to be quite honestly. We inherited a lot of these things, uh, white, black, Hispanic, you know, we inherited these stereotypes. And what was true for one generation, the generational uh, dysfunction and the emotional, you know, things that we have carried with us for those seven generations that Jonah has talked about is real. So it's learning how to release those and to move on to let go. Once you let go, you can breathe so much easier. There's so much that can come from that. So that's like the true wealth. So tapping into the wealth that we have, that we will not allow another person external um, take from us, you know, that true wealth, that value from within. And then that we pour into the collective, the greater collective, and we become better as a whole community, a whole global community of people. So yeah. yeah. I think part of what you say resonates from the fact that some of what we talked about earlier is that some people don't even know that they have something that they need to let go. Right. Yeah. When we talk about alcoholics, you know, one of the things that they have is you first you have to, you know, acknowledge the problem or there's some saying that they have is one of the first steps. And so this is a first step for a lot of people. And I mm -hmm. held up a sign. I don't know if I have it here today. Here it is right here that uh, were some signs from. I don't know, I think this might've been in Italy. I can't remember what place I got this from, but it was from a different country related to Black Lives Matter. And one of the signs on here says, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it's talking about, um, you know, I'm sorry I was asleep, asleep. I'm sorry that, you know, I didn't know. Um, I'm sorry. It's like a whole other, a whole list of things that they're saying that they're sorry for because mm -hmm. people just didn't even know that there was even an issue. You know, everyone's right. going along in life and not even knowing that there was an issue. And so they are now awake and they now know that there's things going on that they can be a part of the solution. So I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that so much. Yeah. And I've had several friends reach out to me and have the discussions. And at first I was a little bit uneasy. I got to be honest with you. I'm like, I don't want to be the token or, you know, I mean, like you get carry on those things where you're like, I'm going to be the one. But then I'm like, well, why not? How do you not educate someone? How do you not, mm -hmm. you know? Because like you and like, I forget who it was, I think it was um, Stefan, you know, I wasn't raised in a way that I saw any type of, I don't yeah. want to say color, colorblind, but I was raised to be a good human being. Right. You know I mean? exactly. it, it was about the content of who I was, about having integrity, about, you know, uh, all of those things that make us either a good human or, or not a good human. You know, it's all about our experiences. But then if we go back to John, um, it all becomes a choice. You know, I, I work with and I mentor also um, kids in, in um, foster care on Makasa in my county. And, you know, I specifically choose to work with, excuse me, the kids that are they're older that no one necessarily wants to work with because they need the skills the most. If they've been in the system, the system for a long time, they need that support. They need to be having or to receive that expanded uh, perspective so that they see the value and the wealth they have within. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, like he said, mentorship, it's the, like the girl that I work with now, she's 15. All she wants to do is have her own business and make her own money. There's value in that. So we have to support one another. We have to really, like I said, let go. You know, we've been raised in a society where we're like guilt, shame, blame. We have to stop blaming one another. We stop have to stop shaming 
each other. It keeps you tied to the past. It keeps you tied to that legacy that, you know, the older generations might fear, like, if you don't carry on this, then you don't love me. <laughs> that's not, excuse me, that's so far from the truth. Right. So we have to learn to love ourselves. You know, we're not taught to love ourselves. You know, no one says love yourself. You have to love everybody else before you love yourself. That's, it's like when you're, you're flying, you have to put on the oxygen mask first because you are of no use to anyone else. If you're saving everyone else, you're going to run out of, you know, your life force sooner. So you're of, are of most value when you love yourself and then you're able to um, illuminate and project that love into the world. So that's, you know, and I think we're in just this really great um, space, place, time, evolution, you know, leading edge. It's amazing. So, yeah, so much good stuff today. I could talk forever, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to let you ask questions to wrap up because I'll go forever. As we get ready to wrap up, this is just, you know, just a face mask. This was, again, a young lady uh, overseas that had this on. And um, even a lot of the different things that have gone on, we want to have where people go about things in the right way. Um, mm -hmm. And so just where you, it, it, it's not about color. It's not about color. And the fact that um, this has been said by a number of Black people as they were um, being crushed in various ways to their death and that it's being resonated you know with people of various colors is, is just awesome that we have people uniting with us uh, in this in this fight in this struggle and in the solutions and so we need to do what we can do um and this you know she wrote this on her on her mask she's not she didn't say anything you know necessarily with her mouth she wrote this on her mask so as we continue to unite I feel, even from a media perspective, that we have people are trying to portray all of the rioting and the protests as being the same thing, and they're not. Protesting, peaceful protest, is totally different than rioting. And even with some of the people that were overseas that um, took down the one statue and rolled it over to the river and, and threw it in the river. That was, it, was that in Italy? Was that in Italy? I think I saw that. I believe so, but it, none of the people rolling it were black people. <laughs> yes, there was when they, when they um, took the statue down, there was a black person that got up where the statue was and held up a sign. But all the people that rolled him down the street and threw the statue in the river, um, just because of, you know, it, it, it's a lot of different people that had a lot to do with slavery that, that have all of these, um, statues and, mm -hmm. and confederate perspective all across the world and so this was one those people were not black a lot right. of the people that are doing like the peaceful protests a lot of them are not black so the sooner that we understand that this is a humanity situation and not necessarily just a black situation then you know the better off we will be so in the last 30 seconds that you have here miss holly what are your closing comments well, I think what we're seeing speaks volumes and it speaks volumes to the oppressive nature and the fear and all of the things that is coming to the surface, that contrast that we need to address because if we don't address it, then we're going to wind up back here again in another, you know, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. So like the woman who wrote that on her mask, you know, that's, that's, that directly ties to her whatever oppression she felt growing up as a child in her family, 
in her work, in her relationships, whatever that may be. So that, again, goes back to the humanness of what we're all feeling that is vibrating so high that we've reached this pinnacle where we're now in this place where we're able to um, make these big changes and have these conversations. And not only, you know, let me just speak really quickly to the authenticity that we spoke on the other day. Because, you know, we can apologize all day long to one another for the hurts, the hurting, you know, hurts another person or whatever. When we're hurt, we hurt. But it's the authenticity of the apology that comes with action. So I think that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing the authenticity, the action that will actually sustain the long-term healing, the long-term solutions that you were talking about. Anytime you have that deep um, you know, hurt or whatever the generations that we've been experiencing, you know, there's a long term that's needed. You know, the short term is just a Band-Aid. So it's exciting to be a part of this long term and to have that expanded perspective. So thank you so, so much. This is, it's amazing. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. And we'll be doing some other things together. So I really appreciate, uh, you know, Mike Diamond getting us together. He's having a little bit of technical difficulty getting back in. uh, And so hopefully we'll be able to have him back on to help uh, with the interviews. But thank you so much. And I just want to read off some of the names of people who wrote Let Go. That was part of what we uh, talked about um, during your time. So Carlise, thank you for Let Go and Mike and Christopher, Amanda, Geraldine, Stefan and Jacqueline uh, wrote Let Go um, based on what you awesome. you. So, so awesome. that's, thank you so much for being a part of uh, the summit today. Thank you. It's been awesome. Thank you to everyone as well. You know, it's been great. All right. So we are going to go to our next speaker. And uh, before I do, I just want to read off a couple things to you where uh, we, as we know, a lot of things that have happened uh, in our lifetime, a lot of things that are still going on, obviously, where we know some changes need to take place. And so the solidarity narrative is here to talk about some of those uh, potential changes, some of those potential solutions, and maybe even just to share some experiences that a number of us have had. So it doesn't really matter what color we are. Uh, the solidarity narrative has brought together a very diverse uh, group of panelists, um, some people that have been homeless, some people that have uh, had run-ins with the police, um, some people who have been in jail, some people who are millionaires, pastors, wives, husbands, youth. There's a lot of people that um, are on with us today sharing different things that they have experienced, uh, including myself. And I continue to mention that we have a responsibility because right now we have a chance to put in place some things that can really help with change. And this is not just change related to black people, this is change related to us as humanity Um, and uh, related to uh, black, yes, black lives matter. And yes, black lives have not necessarily been lifted lifted up as being something that that has mattered a lot in our society. Yes, we have the Oprah Winfrey's and Michael Jordan's and the various people who are famous that have uh, wealth and have prestige. But um, as you know, even with those people, there's things that they have gone through that they've talked about um, in in some of the various interviews that they've had. And so it's not to say, you know, woe is me. Some people think that that is what's going on as well, because, you know, we all go through things in our life, right? Yes, we do all go through things in our life, but a lot of what's going on today is being caught on film, caught on tape, 
of what is happening. All of this has not been related to police officers. Some of them have been actual citizens that have done some of the things that, that we're talking about today. So let us not get um, caught up in um, even sensationalizing you know, this movement right now because it's not a thing that's just for right now. This is, we're looking at short-term and long-term solutions, whether it's less legislation, whether it's rewriting some of our school books, whether it's just opening up the doors for us to be able to have more communication, um, being able to do more listening on all sides and having where we have things in place where we are all able to unite around common initiatives unite around common initiatives. And so you will be hearing more about some of the things that will be coming in the future, including having other narratives, because there were other people that wanted to speak today, but we couldn't get everyone in. So I just appreciate you all, all of the ones who uh, are speaking, and we have a number of other speakers lined up, um, as, well as, those, as well as those who have already been on. I think it's been a great narrative so far. And um, if you're getting something out of this narrative and you're still on and would like to just type a message, um, just go ahead and put hashtag solidarity narrative. Hashtag solidarity narrative. And let us know that, that'll let us know that you know, you're enjoying this, you're getting something out of it, not just enjoying it, but it has had impact in your life. Hashtag solidarity narrative. All right, so I am going to look on our list here and bring up our next speaker. And we will get started with a few questions. Mr. Leary, are you there? I'm here. How are you, Crystal? I am great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. So you're a coach. You're a coach. So go ahead and I'm tell a little bit of everything, I think. <laughs> I know. I know you wrote a book. You're like, you, you know, you have like a lot of stuff going on like me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 About yourself. Well, um, you know, my uh, story is kind of unique. I, um, of course, I'm an African-American man, but um, uh, was adopted into a white family. And so many people know the movie of The Blind Side and that's kind of my life story, you know, come from a inner city, inner city kid. In fact, um, I grew up from Louisiana, Bunking, Louisiana, small town uh, there in Louisiana, but also um, moved to uh, Houston, Texas as a very young, young man, young boy. And so I grew up in the area with, uh, you know, the recent passing of George Floyd. So I grew up in the third ward area. In fact, my mom still lives there. And... I've got uh, five brothers and one sister that, um, you know, are a part of my a biological family. But, you know, as life would have it, some things changed in my life because of my love for sports. And, you know, I always tell people sports saved my life. Um, I use the, uh, the vehicle of sports to, you know, seize the opportunity to become something in my life when it presented itself. And so... Uh, a white family adopted me into their family and gave me an opportunity to, you know, pursue a life of success and education. And, you know, I've been blessed uh, to be able to do many things that I never thought I would have been able to do. So I'm, I'm blessed in so many ways. I'm so grateful and thankful for, you know, my experiences in my life. And um, I think I encountered racism along the way. Um, discrimination along the way, but, um, you know, my message to people is really simple. Being a coach, you know, um, your whole, 
idea about helping, you know, prepare a team to be successful really stems from, you know, how, what we got to do to get better. And that's why I wanted to be a part of the solidarity uh, narrative. It's because it's about what do we need to do to move forward? What do we need to do to have solutions? All of our experiences are what they are. We all have had challenging times. You know, I say to my kids all the time, I said, it's all about the elements. We got to overcome the elements, you know? Adversity is going to come in different forms and fashion. And uh, it's how we handle those things that makes us who we are and allow for us to, uh, to be as successful as we capable of being. And so for me, um, there are three things that I, that I think are very, very important to unity and um, you know, solutions about moving forward. And, and the first and foremost is, is love. And I say that because um, I tell people of my experience, my experience was one that from the first day I walked into you know, my adopted family home, being a man of a different color skin, I, I didn't experience anything but love. The warm embrace, uh, the hugs, the kisses on the cheeks, uh, the even saying the word, I love you. You know, we grew up in times where, you know, people don't really use that word. They don't squeeze you and hug you or kiss you on the cheek and say they love you. And so, so that's my experience. I went from an inner city kid to walking into a home where I was truly loved. And I tell people that that love that I experienced was a pure love because it, I felt a love that not only stemmed from a human being that was of another race, but I experienced the love that I felt like an inner love, like transforming of my spirit. And I knew that came from God. And so... As I talk to people about solutions and what can we all do, I always tell them we got to start with love and first to be the love of God. As God flows his, you know, pour, pour his love into our hearts, we need to pour it into the hearts of others. As we touch hands and hearts with each other, that love will manifest itself in so many ways that we can begin to change. Not We can't change the big picture, but we can begin change on a smaller level, you know, each and every individual. So love is my first thing that I would say. Yeah, I know, you had, I know you said you had three. And I just wanted to ask a question about your family. Were you okay. the only um, child that was adopted or did they have a number of, of children in that family? They had two other and they had two of their own biological kids and they had two other young men, two young boys that were adopted as well. So um, they, they were, it's the family, the Johnson family. They were people who just knew how to love. Uh, they took one kid uh, and found out he had a brother, and they ended up adopting brothers uh, of those kids. But they had a daughter and a son whom, um, to me, I always think of them as them having, you know, given the, the biggest sacrifice, right, of their parents, sharing their parents' love and time and energy and effort for someone like me. And so um, I've always been appreciative of that. So. Awesome. But the second thing is a heart. You know, I think we need a heart transplant. Hey, listen, I think we could do a lot of things about police reform, police brutality, political agendas, voting. We want to do all of those things, Crystal. But if that officer, unless his heart's changed, he's going to be the same guy under the reform. Unless we get to the point where we can help change hearts, the heart of man, and only God can do that. 
we can make tremendous progress. And so I always talk about a heart change. We have love. We can start with love. And then we, have, we need change hearts. And we all can be a part of that. So I, I totally agree with change hearts. And part of it, too, is starting out young, starting out young. Yes, absolutely. About with relation to the material in the school. So not just in relation to writing history the way history actually happened to have them yes. learn, but having where there's other curriculum in schools related to diversity, related yes. to acceptance, related to our responsibility um, that some corporations call corporate responsibility. Uh, yes. So there's like all, there's so many different segments of it that it needs all of us to approach Absolutely. it in our own way. And so some people are like, well, now everything, all, all a lot of people are having these uh, different conversations and it's saturated. Well, no, there's so much going on that we need every single person to be a part yes. of Yes, yes, everyone. Power of one all the time that yes. we can all do our part. And if we all do our part, we can make a difference. We can make Absolutely. a difference. Absolutely. So you talked about love, you talked about heart. And what is your final and third one? I'd like to first say uh, before I give that third one is uh, I was I'm a former school teacher. So, uh, you know, I used to teach kids about, you know, education is the most important thing. And in fact, I tell people the thing that that helped me seize the opportunity that I had in life was to understand the importance of education. And so I totally agree with you. We've got to help young people understand the importance of education. But that right. third thing I would say is a transformed mind. We got to transform the mind. And the scriptures are very clear in that, right? I mean, in Romans, he tells us, you know, that we need to not have be uh, conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need a renewed thinking about what that person of another color truly is and what they mean to me in terms of we all need each other. If we can learn to look beyond the color of a person's skin and understand the importance of that person and who they are and uh, where they're from, where they come from, if we can start to understand that and transforming and renewing our mind, uh, I believe that we can begin to bring healing to our communities. But beyond those three things, you know, it's like you said, we've, we've got to, you know, start with education. We've yeah. got to start with helping uh, in the community. Right. Uh, when I grew up, there was a Boys and Girls Club, a YMCA we can go to, and I don't think that kids in the inner city have any outlets anymore. And we've got to get back to the cities and start doing some things to help, you know, with education and resources right. and uh, helping rebuild a home, you know, giving a sense of direction and, and, and purpose to not just the kids in the home, but uh, parents who lost themselves along the way. Uh, but that's the work that I think needs to be done. What I want to do is have people write one of the things that you said is look beyond, look beyond. So if you can type in the comments, look beyond, that would be great because that was so, so powerful, so powerful because so, so many times we get stuck right yes. here, yes. right here. We get stuck. Absolutely. And um, I, I love to, to learn. And so, you know, I was looking up, you know, just the, the purpose of our skin and where our skin comes from and, mm. and, and, and the three different portions of our skin and what they are, are created to do has nothing to do with how people see us. No, absolutely not. The content no. of the person's character, but absolutely. you get stuck on something that's a barrier 
for the rest of your body and, and to help fight off in, infection and to be there, you know, to be able to hold everything, you know, else in our bodies. Where we have some place for our pores, to have somewhere Absolutely. to have for our hair follicles. And you want to judge me on the thing that is to help keep my hair follicles in, 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 in my body, in my skin. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's a shallow have, way of thinking. We have a long way to go. We have a long we way do. to go. We and do. So, uh, yeah. I really appreciate you being on. In your last 30 seconds, what is your thought about, uh, we've talked a lot about solutions, but I want you to speak to in the form of your coach. So I want you to speak in terms of, you know, you're speaking to um, a young man or a young girl right now. What is, what is your final comment? I would say to any young man or young lady that uh, you have purpose in life, that God has created each and every one of us with a sense of purpose. He's given you talent and gifts beyond what you can ever even imagine. We got to get a vision for who we can be and not just focus on where we are and who we are. If we can look beyond, again, that sense of looking beyond and see a vision of what God has for us, and start pursuing those things and seize every opportunity that comes your way. Plug into the things, the resources that are available to you. Be educated, get educated, and be av avail yourselves to every opportunity that will allow for you to become all that you desire to be. That's what I would say to them. Awesome. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for- uh, Thank you so much, Crystal. And yes. I want to say to you, since you know you're the whole school teacher thing too, you have like so many layers to you, like the skin has all its layers. Uh, I'll yes. be getting in touch with you about some of the educational initiatives. Is that okay? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. We'll definitely stay in touch. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. God bless. God bless you too. So we are here uh, talking about a number of things. I asked you guys to put in hashtag solidarity narrative, and I thank you all for, for doing that. Um, that was done by uh, Tammy, by Carlise, and Hortensia, Marlea, Amanda, Jacqueline, and CJ. You put in hashtag uh, solidarity narrative. So thank you for that. Uh, we do have solidarity gear. We have where this is a part of our nonprofit, Full Color Movement International. So even today, if you want to go on fullcolormovement.com, that's fullcolormovement.com. If you want to type that into the comments for us, um, Juliana, fullcolormovement.com, then people can go there and you can make a donation. You can make a donation to our nonprofit and just put in your comment in the donation that uh, you're interested uh, in solidarity gear. So if it's if it's $25 or more, I can let you know what that could get you. Or if it's $75 to $100 or more, I can let you know some of the items that we have uh, available for you related to our solidarity gear. Um, people who said look beyond, we had Geraldine, we had Jacqueline, Talisa, Amanda is holding strong with us and uh, Marlea as well, doing really great. We had Neil and Tammy. Thank you guys for your comments related to Look Beyond. All right, so we are going to bring up our next speaker. And this is a young lady that has been with us all day. I've been seeing her name on the list here. We're going to promote her to panelists. Really appreciate uh, being able to meet you a, a week or so ago. How are you, Miss Noel? I am good. I'm really enjoying being a part of uh, this and listening to all these amazing things that people are saying. 
<laughs> thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. And um, some of the people are people that I know or, or Mike knows. And a few people are ones that I've actually reached out to, whether it's been on national news or social media. And you are one of the, the social media people that I reached out to. So thank you for actually answering my message. And with that, actually agreed to be on the Solidarity Summit. And so thank you. <laughs> well, you're welcome, but thank you. <laughs> I don't want to be all giddy about it, but I was like, oh, this is so great, so great. So go ahead and introduce yourself, and then we'll get into a few questions. Sure. So my name is Noelle Palmer. I am from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I am an adoptive mom. And that's part of my story that we're going to talk about here today. Uh, for work, I am a mental health professional uh, serving in the capacity as a social worker uh, in the Minneapolis community and the big surrounding uh, metro area as a crisis responder. Uh, so we are the folks that um, are called when a family or an individual is experiencing a mental health crisis and we're the we're the folks that that go out there and, and meet with those folks. Excellent, excellent. So that is admirable work and we really appreciate you being on the front line uh, with all that you do because it, it takes special people to be able to to do that. Um, a lot of people don't um, don't really understand even like the mental impact that that has on people that, that have those positions. So I really appreciate your sacrifice and, and all that you do. So I contacted you related to a specific post that you had. So I want to talk to you about, you know, what motivated you to, to write that post. And then we'll talk about the, 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 what's the word? Well, Explosion is, is one word that comes to mind, but you know, what happened after you wrote that post? So, so what motivated you to write the post? And maybe you can just tell people what that's about. Sure. So, um, as everybody knows, Minneapolis has um, been dealing really with a, a trauma, uh, a community trauma, more specifically, obviously, due to the murder of George Floyd. Um, but it has moved beyond that. And as a community, we've really been going through um, a lot here. And I know that it's um, spread national-wide and worldwide. Um, and, you know, I'm going to sound like a mental health professional here for a second. When, when we're sitting in trauma, um, things just come out. And you've heard of the, you know, the fight or flight response. And, and um, I was really seeing a lot of the fight response through all of this. And I was, you know, being in quarantine, working remote. I'm, I'm on Facebook uh, a little bit more than I used to be. And I, I was really struggling with a lot of what I was seeing being posted um, in that fight mode. I don't know what's going on in this country. We're so polarized and fighting and we just, so um, the thing that, that was, I was really struggling with was um, my fellow white folks um, that were just really kind of fighting um, the injustice that was coming out in a way where I don't even know how to explain it. It was like this knee-jerk reaction uh, to what was happening um, 
to not want to really accept that this was really about racial injustice right. um, and, and resisting that and, and dismissing it, um, focusing on what about the looters and focusing on George Floyd's criminal history and focusing on what people were doing wrong about this and just really dismissing um, that racism is, is ingrained and systemic in society. And so I decided that, you know, I wanted to use my own life experiences as an adoptive mom of a black son where I witnessed it firsthand and I wasn't protected from seeing that. You know, Brene Brown talks about this, so I won't take credit for this, but she talks about how so many of us have our own lens, right? How we see the world. And one of the things that this nation has really fostered for us white people um, is that our lens, we somehow believe our lens is the right lens. And, and, and that was really, um, evident in what was happening here in our community that white people felt like they could say these things that were so dismissive um, that they could say things that weren't helping any and and so I guess that was what motivated me I wanted to share my experiences about what I witnessed mm -hmm. um, to give testimony to the fact that systemic racism is very, very real in this nation. Yeah, it, it is real. And um, I know when we talked and just me looking through what you wrote, there's like thousands. I have to like go look at it again because you got thousands and thousands of responses. I mean, like this thing, guys and, and ladies, whoever is listening, um, blew up blew up and I'm gonna I'm gonna go get the numbers while you're answering this next question but but what surprised you the most about the response and and part of this I'm gonna let you answer the question but there's been people that have thanked you for doing this post there's been people that have had outrage you know because of this post there's people that have said you know kind words and then there's people that quite frankly um, not trying to be judgmental but have said things that are just you know downright right mean and hateful you know there's 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 all all facets of it and it's come from all different colors and ethnicities of people so what has surprised you the most related to this post so sure and I I don't want to assume that everyone watching here read the post um, so just real briefly uh, the the two stories that I told in this post, were experiences that I had with my son when he was younger. Um, so the first experience was um, my my family had moved, my husband had been relocated, we moved into a home uh, that had previously been vacant and prior to the moving truck get there, getting there, um, I had my son out front raking leaves, I was inside painting the house and uh, within an hour, I hear three squad cars blazing up the street into my driveway, and they're scrambling out of the car. I'm hearing this commotion. I go out there um, to find three squad cars and, and these officers, you know, all kind of tense, get, getting ready for a 14-year-old kid raking leaves in the front yard. And they turned to see me, and then all of a sudden, it was like this instant calm, and, you know, I go up there and I'm like, what's going on? And, and uh, they had said that somebody had called saying that somebody 
who was here, what somebody wasn't supposed to be here. Um, and right. Uh, and, and I don't know what motivated that person to call. Um, I, you know, I don't know what was told to dispatch as to why there were three squad cars there. Um, but simply all I had to do was say, this is my house. This is my son. And it was diffused and they left. And the second incident was when I was driving with my son, he was 15 at the time, and um, I was speeding, and I got pulled over because I was speeding, I broke the law. Uh, when the uh, officer came to my window, she was very nervous. Um, her hand was on her gun, she was crouching around, ready for something, I, I'm sitting there already because I know the drill. I got my license out. I'm ready to give her my license. I know I'm getting a ticket, what have you. And the first thing she asks me is, are you okay, ma'am? And I was like, I'm fine. You know, here's my license. And she proceeded to ask for the identification of my son. You know, first she wanted his driver's license. I said, he not, doesn't have a driver's license. Right. She wanted a school ID. I'm like, it's a Sunday. We don't have it with us. Then she wanted his social security number. And I'm not used to this kind of thing. I don't really know what's going on. I'm like, you know, obey officers. I give her the social security number. They proceed to go back in their car for more than 45 minutes doing background checks. Mm -hmm. And when they came to the car, it was very apparent the background check they were doing was on my son because the information they start citing to me was information about him. And so now it's clicking, like now I know what's going on, right? And so I said, you know, I'd like to step out of this car for a minute and talk with you. And immediately the hand went back on the gun and the, 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 her posture was really, you know, ready. And she says, again, are, are you okay, ma'am? And I'm like, I'm fine, but I need to get out of this car. And so I get out of the car and I, I begin to confront them on this is racial profiling. Um, and the thing that was interesting about that too was that in doing so, there was an expectation that I had that I had the right to ask to get out of the car. Right. I had the right to, to step outside and begin talking to them about the racial profiling. Right. Um, and I expected that they listened to me. And I didn't fear in doing that. I didn't fear that I would be hurt, that there'd be any retaliation. It's like I had that expectation. So it was those two events that I talked about. And I talked about specifically that in the context of, of the systemic racism, it wasn't meant specifically just to be about law enforcement. Um, but it was systemic racism. Um, and then also the privilege that I had as a white person um, to be able to push back to law enforcement. And my final thoughts about the post were, you know, just because you haven't experienced this racism, and I'm, I'm speaking specifically now to white people, doesn't mean that it's not a reality. And in fact, the fact that you haven't experienced is it re really just proves my point that this is about racism. So that leads into what happened in response to this post. And, and I gotta say, the majority of the response, my target audience was a very small target audience within my circle of 
Facebook friends, um, specifically who were still dismissing this. But the majority of the response came from black and brown people saying, thank you. Yes, this is our reality. Finally, yeah. somebody is saying it. So somebody is saying it all right. And I want to go over some of these numbers. 86,000, over 86,000 likes for her post. 18,000 or so comments and over 115,000 shares of this post of this mother and the things that she went through with her black son. And yes, rightfully so, you could say that a person that is an officer would come to the car and say, are you all right? And you have to also be able to, to read the person. You're like, Jeff, yeah, and, and I, I love your personality. Like every time we talk, you're like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, so if, you, if you're saying it like that, on the movies, you know, they have like, uh, yeah, I'm fine. And they're like looking like that. They're all stiff. But even if it's not like that, and I've, I've been asked that from a different reason, you can kind of read people. But then all of the information that they came back with and the racial profiling and then the fact that he was just in your front yard and then you see all these kinds, it's, it's just, it's just like, wow, it's wow. And so, yes, people are saying thank you. I'm saying thank you uh, for the post and for, um, again, agreeing to be on the summit to be able to share. And part of, uh, part of I, what I want to say, you know, in some of the closing comments is, you know, all of these different kinds of things, you know, the, it teaches us something as, as humans. It's taught you something, I, I believe, you know, as a mother, as a person. And is there, are there any um, lessons learned that, that has come out of this um, as just a general everyday person that has done something that is now being shared by thousands? What, what have you learned or what lessons learned do we have in this? really way too many, but, you know, I, I reached out to a gentleman who had uh, messaged me um, about someone who was trolling me, <laughs> saying, just stop even talking to this person, they're a troll, what have you. Anyway, we kind of sparked up a little camaraderie in our Facebook messaging, and I, and I asked him, um, African-American man, I said, can I just ask you a question? And I'm, I'm serious about this, I really want to know. Okay. Um, and will you give this to me straight? And I said, is it that unusual to hear a white person acknowledge their privilege? Is it that unusual for a white person to acknowledge the reality of systemic racism, what our black and brown people are, are experiencing every day? And, and he said, it is. And that just absolutely blew me away. I, I did not know the power of the deafening, you know, silencing and dismissiveness. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really challenged me to, to really dig in deep, um, looking through my life historically, looking through my life currently, um, to, to really look at what am I doing that is perpetuating this dismissiveness of the black and brown boys. Mm -hmm. um, and I've also learned that we are not going to be able to come to this. And I love the, the concept of today that unity is our destiny. But, you know, really not to be Debbie Downer, but in order for us to get to that unity, um, 
we as a white collective need to validate the reality of our black and brown communities. Right. We have to validate that and we have to own it. And so really that's one of the biggest things that I've learned through this, just, you know, for myself, um, but also um, in a greater perspective. Yeah. And, and I think because of the fact that um, unity is our destiny has to do with having a goal. Yes. We have to have, we have to have a goal. And with all, you know, that we've talked about all day, all that's going on with, you know, other narratives, we have to be focused on solutions. Mm -hmm. And so having a solution, you know, in what I do in corporate America, first you need to know, is, is there even a problem? Yes, that's been established, folks, that there is a problem. And then, you know, well, what, what is it that we want to do and what is our goal? So just a part of what, what I've done, like I said, is, is come up with that uh, tagline because I really believe that unity can be our destiny, um, but there's a lot of work that has to be done. So that's why we're talking about short-term and long-term solutions um, today. And some people even ask, you know, well, what have you learned? But, you know, what have the police learned? Did they learn anything from this? And, you know, have you had, because he's older now, he's not still a teenager, you know, has the, have they learned anything? I don't know if you've moved or if you're in a different neighborhood, but I imagine that there may be even still be other things that have happened that were not in that exact post. So um, I'm just saying that there's, there's a lot to be learned on all sides and there's a lot to be said. And for you to step up and say what you said, not knowing that you would get the response of 115, over 115,000 shares of, of you and your son. Um, you guys can go ahead and, you know, and take a look at it, you know, if, if, if you want. Is, is it okay for me to have people take a look at it? Absolutely. It's, it's on Facebook. It's public. I know. I mean, I guess your name is on the, you know, on the, the roster here and you have the, the ad that I to be on the show, but um, it's Noelle uh, Palmer, and um, Noelle is N-O-E-L-L-E -L -L -E Palmer, P-A-L-M-E-R. Did I get it right? You did. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the narrative today, and um, I do still have <clears throat> some things that I want to follow up with you on, so we'll, we'll be back in touch, but so thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, hi, guys. How are you? We're good. Thanks yeah. for having us. Yes, thank you so, so much for being on. Um, I just want to just acknowledge uh, the fact that <clears throat> we are on the Solidarity Narrative, and I'd like to thank my back office team that has been help, helping me, you know, keep everything moving here. So, so thank you guys for being with me, and uh, thank you all for being with me today, too. So these are my cousins, and uh, they had the most beautiful wedding um, that... Um, was uh, it was just really so beautiful and I just want to uh, how long have you been married now we just had our one year anniversary a couple weeks that's ago crazy that's crazy it probably seems like about seven months or so to me not <laughs> like a whole past a whole year but go ahead and introduce yourself what you do and where you are and where you're going yeah um, I'm Jonathan and this is Julia uh, and Basically, we got married a year ago, and we felt like this call to do 
full-time missionary work. Um, so we just got off a five-month training in the, during the past year um, in Ensenada, Mexico. And we're heading back to Mexico in these next few months. So. Awesome, awesome. So your husband had those opening comments. Do you have any opening comments for us, Julia? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I'm Julia. And I guess just to add a little more background, we both grew up north of Indianapolis in Indiana. Um, neither of us, I think, have ever moved houses in our lives. So we've always kind of been from here and it's been really interesting as we've traveled and gotten a little more used to mission work to experience just different communities and cultures. And I think it's opened our eyes in a lot of ways, at least mine. So it's been really awesome. 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 So when we talk about, you know, the, the different things that are going on today and the, and the unrest, and we're talking about unity, um, what is like one of the first things that comes to your mind um, uh, related to just the human experience. And what I mean by that is, uh, we, I said human experience. So is there anything that over the last month or two, based on all of this unrest, anything that has happened differently with you all or anything that people have asked you about or anything that you can share with us? Um, absolutely. Um, I feel like one one big thing within my family is like we started doing weekly zoom calls just to stay in touch and things when we can't travel to one another and um, once all of the like racial injustice stuff started rising to the surface and we have kind of more and more incidents like what happened to floyd um hearing you know my sisters emote and my parents about all of the stuff that is happening honestly is like kind of unique to me because i grew up in an environment where i was around a bunch of like white people in like a suburban community but um, i just got ignorant comments i didn't get overt racial prejudice or racism or stuff like that so like i'm kind of recently just in the last year having to engage with my own personal experience with sure like we're having to check when we travel and stuff like where are we stopping stuff like that like that's kind of the norm at this point for being like african-american stopping in like rural communities and stuff but like now i'm like okay what type of grieving should i really be stepping into and that's been a topic of conversation a lot in the last few months mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah sorry okay. I, was, I was gonna say i think it's just been interesting for me to like watch that unfold as well um, because I think a lot of times I've kind of taken my cues from Jonathan on like how I should respond to racial injustice. Um, and so as he's engaged with that more, like engaged with his own reactions to it, his own reality more, um, it's, I guess, been really eye-opening for me to just see the amount of pain that people are in um, and to realize how much I like haven't recognized that before. Like this is a huge human experience both for black people who are like in a lot of pain um and then even white people like i've been reading about um trauma that's been passed down generationally and the way that that impacts the systems that we have today and the prejudices we have so there's like the trauma that black people are experiencing both like in their lifetime and like what's been passed to them over time but there's also like what it's like to be a white person who like generations before and you know all the way to today have been perpetrators of oppression or evil and like that bears 
a mark on our own human experience too. Um, so I think that's just been really interesting to learn about and like realize that there's, I don't know, just like a lot of different levels of healing and a lot of different ways to engage with it that I just like had never even thought about. Yeah, and and I think um, I just love you know uh, part of you all's story about the fact you know you know you you grew up together and um, you know just I I loved I loved the wedding and I love the whole donut donut wall thing. I'm like I've never seen that, so I took like a million pictures of that. There's no wedding cake. There's just like this big humongous uh, donut wall that was really cool. And I really like the picture of you, Jonathan. You know, laying across the laps of of all of the groomsmen. Um, you know, and they, and they're all white. And so the thing there is like, you know, when when you grow up, like you said, with how you grew up, and then just only in this last year with your traveling and everything, you've had to now start experiencing the world in a different way. I guess is how I would put it for both of you. Um, uh, you. You touched on that, but how has that been for you just having to wake up to, okay, we're out in the world, we're traveling internationally, we're doing all these things and everyone's looking at us differently than how they looked at us when we were growing up. How has that been for you? Yeah, I mean, it's personally, it's been hard. Like I'm someone that it's easy for me to think about the reasons that I have to feel happy, to feel joyful and stuff and to like actually feel that. So, you know, especially after getting married, um, there's so many reasons now that I'm learning, it's actually more loving to her to like engage with some of the pain that she's in in different times. Like it's, it's not helpful for me to say, hey, it's all good, you know, like I'm happy, you can be happy. And so now I'm kind of learning that, that extends towards all of the pain that's kind of in my own history of black Americans being persecuted. Um, like it is more loving genuinely to tap into that. And like, it's, it's so much against the grain of how I like normally act because I'm so quick to give grace and so quick to be like, you know, it's okay. And I don't explain away people doing bad things, but I say like, there is a greater call, a greater love like that Jesus shows and all of the stuff that like, sure, he endures pain. And it's easy for me to go there, but it truly does need to be like the pain of all of this needs to be addressed and felt. And um, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm still at the beginning of that process, to be honest, but it's going, you know. Yeah, and I kind of felt, you know, the same way, too, from from one extent, you know, growing up in Flint, Michigan, and then once you you go out into the world, it's like this whole new world, and and I went to Norway, Sweden, and Denmark, I think when I was in the 11th grade, I was a uh, international, um, in an international band, I got chosen to play clarinet over there, and so uh, there was just, you know, some acceptance of all of who we were, and then some of it was not, and so I just... Um, just wanted to just ask you those questions just in general. And uh, being that you are a missionary, you're going to be spending the rest of your life uh, going to, you know, all these different places, you know, doing God's work. And so are there just some comments that you have that you can share with us uh, about, you know, about unity and about the fact that, you know, we are all just people. This has nothing to do with race. You fell in love with each other as, as, as people, not as, you know, one race versus another race. So is there any kind of unity comment that you can share with us uh, that we can take with us today? Um, yeah, and I'm sure Julia will add on this too, but like 
the fact that as a believer um, in Christ, like that all of us were created in the image of God. And in that sense, like he created me black, he created Julia white, he created all these other like cultures, traditions, ethnicities. Um, the point was for the human race to reflect him. And so kind of when I think of unity, um, I, and I think of like wanting to know God, you know, in, in a personal way, like when we travel, I get the privilege to literally like learn more about God by introducing myself to other cultures and ethnicities. So it's kind of, it's not just, it's better to be cultured or it's better to um, like not have these prejudices. So have more black friends or have more white friends. Like the point is like to actually know God and to know him, we truly have to get to know all of the people that reflect who he is and what he looks like. And um, that's done in so many cultures. Um, and we're kind of, we haven't been that many places, but we're getting a chance to go to Oaxaca, Mexico for the next few years. And like there we, our aim is to love and to kind of reflect a image of God they haven't seen before. But at the same time, like we're excited to learn what that looks like <laughs> through them, you know, and they're, they're witness to us. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I would say too, like, I think unity is a word that like we hear a lot, like in the church and then also even outside of the church, like talking about different like topics of racial injustice or whatever it is. Like it's a word that sounds nice. Um, and I think it's sometimes easy to like write off, but I guess I'm learning too, that like unity is love. Like it's about love. Um, I think in the last year, especially, like, I've just been realizing that, like, the distance that we put um, between ourselves and someone else, for whatever reason that it is, like, whether we're uncomfortable with um, the way that they speak, or we, you know, we're nervous to maybe bridge a language gap, even when, when we're in Mexico, and, and we're concerned that we're not going to be able to have an easy conversation because we don't speak great Spanish whatever it is, like the distance we put between ourselves, like myself as a human and another human being created by God, that's just not love. And so I'm just realizing, I think, yeah, the, the power that there is in recognizing when there's not unity and like asking myself, like what, what lack of love is in me that I don't feel warmth towards this person, or I don't want to just go towards them. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus was so willing to go towards people. Like he went towards lepers at risk of like getting infected. Um, he went, he went towards a Samaritan woman when like, that was the last thing that was culturally acceptable. And so, yeah, I think when I think about unity, I think about like the word love and like the words moving towards somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And uh, there is is so much that I'm I'm just really really appreciative of you guys being on. And there's there's so much you're going to continue to experience. Uh, I've done a number of mission trips uh, in my life. I kind of talked to you just a little bit about it, you know, at the at the wedding. And so I do want to continue to uh, keep up with you guys, and maybe we can do some things together. Um, I haven't been down to where you're talking about in Mexico, so I might have to come come visit you guys. And uh, I just appreciate uh, appreciate your great example. And um, as young people uh, taking this as your, your life journey, 
um, to, to go out and serve. It, it's just awesome, just awesome. And so uh, with that being said, I asked you to talk about unity, but is there any, any last comment that is about anything that you, you want to share with us today? Um, I did want to share something just about like, even in the environment today of being in coronavirus and like the social distancing that's going on, kind of going up what Julia said about moving towards people. Like, I feel like we all kind of have to be aware a little bit of the biases that are growing in us because we don't want to leave this coronavirus social distance time and enter whatever's next with a whole new people group that we won't talk to that we won't engage with like I don't even know what that is yet you know like it could be people that literally just cough or like have the flu or have the common cold or you know like and all of a sudden there's this taboo with okay well you could have coronavirus and it's been a year it's been two years um like so there's different biases I feel like you kind of even in reading the story of Jesus like reading that over and over and over you kind of are able to sift out some of those things that just aren't loving that aren't bringing us into unity like we can't create another people group <laughs> that we're prejudiced against after this so please keep that in mind <laughs> yeah yeah and um julie before you give your last comments i just wanted to to talk about what what you said uh jonathan because um I have always had allergies, okay, so ever since I was a little girl, and I think I'm like 55 right now, so um, I've always had uh, Clorox wipes at my desk, I've always had hand sanitizer, I've always had Kleenex, and at my house, we normally, when we get Kleenex, we get like a dozen or so, because I have a box in every room. So when I cough or sneeze, of which I've done every single day of my life, now it's like, oh my gosh, I'm like, look, I've been doing this the whole time. You know, my like every single day of my life, seriously, how many ever 365 is times 55? I've been doing it like that many times probably since that, since the womb. So, you know, now it's where people have, like you said, where they're going through this whole mental process because part of it is these vaccines are not out yet. And yeah. I think there's about 125 or so that are being um, developed and only a very small part of them, I don't know if it's at 16 or less than 20 that are in clinical trials right now. So I think, you know, when those actually come out uh, and set, start being used and the clinical trials go well, hopefully prayerfully, you know, people will have some, some other views on all of this because there's actually something that can help them. But right now, a lot of people are just living in fear. Yeah. So um, yeah, we, we really need to, to try to keep a hold on that. So I agree. Uh, your, your final con, um, I want to say, let me just try this again. Your final comments. I was going to try to say Mrs. Robinson, and then I just went and just messed up the whole sentence. So let's try again. Okay. So do you have any final comments, Mrs. Robinson? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, the, the coronavirus, um, conversation kind of made me think about, um, how, with everything that's been going on, I've just noticed how easily my like whole view of the world can change. Like when everything shut down and we were watching the news every day, like I was like, oh my gosh, like it's an apocalypse. Um, and then we, we watched the news a little bit less or, you know, our, our state at least is like opening up a little bit more. And, you know, suddenly I view the world a little more the way that I did before. Um, and I think the same thing has kind of been happening with like all of the conversation about racial injustice and how to heal from it. Like I have these eye-opening moments where I'm like, 
oh my goodness, like the world is just not the way that I thought it was. Like, it's just not a safe place for some people. And then a couple of days later, I haven't thought about it for a while. And I, I feel the same way I did before, just super comfortable in my privilege in a super safe neighborhood. Um, and so I think just something that I like would encourage people with is to ask Jesus to like show us what is true and like what is reality. Because I've just realized I can't even trust myself to know what the world is like, to know like what the state of things are. And so I, I literally need like God to open my eyes and tell me what is true and like walk me step by step forward. So that's just what I would add to it because it's been a really interesting couple of months for everybody. Yeah, and just how quick our mind can change and our mindsets and our decisions can change just based on one little thing in media or one little thing that the government does or one little thing that that someone says on Facebook or, you know, there's everyone is a um, an expert now on coronavirus, you yeah. know, and, and everyone's an expert on racial racial relations. And all we're trying to say in this narrative is just let's open the conversation. We're not... Um, purporting to be any kind of expert on anything. Uh, we are purporting to be human beings that know that, that there's a better way. And human beings that know that, you know, we need unity in order to survive. And that we all have a responsibility in this. And so I appreciate you all being on and uh, God bless you. You said in another couple months you leave? Yeah, we're hoping to leave um, once we're like fully support raised and stuff by September. So that's what we're like praying into and we're excited about that date. Okay, so um, I haven't allowed anyone else to do this, but so what I want you to do is tell people how they can get in touch with you in relation to your um, donation program. How can they donate toward helping to send you to your mission in Mexico? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Um, you can either go and message Jonathan Julia Robinson on Facebook and like we can send you the information directly. But uh, going to missionstream.org is where you can find our information. Um, but yeah, missionstream.org and feel free to just shoot us a message on Facebook and we'll get you the information, Jonathan Robinson or Juliet Robinson. We appreciate that, Crystal. Yeah. yeah, no problem, no problem. And I'll be donating as well. And now your your Jonathan is spelt differently. So can you just spell that for our audience today? Yes. It is J-O-N-N-A-T-H-A-N. So I, I'll do it one more time. It's weird. <laughs> J-O-N-N. No, stop, stop, stop. It's not weird. It's unique. It's beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. There we go. So for the rest of your life, just say it's unique. Because did you see how to spell my spell my name? I have never said that it's weird. It's unique. So go ahead and start that again, sir. Absolutely. My unique spelling is J-O-N-N-A-T-H-A-N and then Robinson. So appreciate anything you guys can give. That's awesome. That's great. Well, thank you guys for being on. And um, I, I hope everything goes well with uh, you meeting your actual date. And we'll be hoping that you got a couple extra dollars donated to you because of today. Yeah, yeah thank you. you. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye. 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 Mr. Keith. Uh -oh. Yes. Hey, how you doing? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm like, we want to, oh, Lord. Yes. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You sporting the hat today. 
Yeah, I didn't want to call him the Afro. It was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, it's getting long. It's getting way too long. We're like two and a half inches, three inches now. So A lot of people really have their coronavirus hair, especially since, you know, before it opened back up because everybody had, they were just growing everything all out and, and uh, couldn't get to the barbershop or the hairdresser. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to go this over. This is the look. Oh, I was going to say, this is, you say you're from Flint, Michigan? Yes, sir. You know the priors? I know some priors, yes. It was all family in Flint, Michigan. Jackson, oh, really? Michigan, Flint, Michigan, pastor priors, churches, all that. Yes. Okay. That's my family. Well, be, um, when you're done, we're going to go over a couple stats and stuff. And I have another young man that will be coming on to, to help close us out as well. But... I want to just uh, continue to thank all of you all who have tuned in today. Uh, Keith uh, has uh, a number of unique experiences that we're going to talk about. And what I want to do is um, piggyback on some of what you're saying all throughout. So I'll kind of jump in there a few times um, as you're talking, but, but thank you for being here to, to, share, uh, to share with us today. Thank you for having me. If you want to just interrupt me, just go like this, like they do in church. Just stick your finger up like that. I am not going to I just want to go like, you know, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Uh, my name is Keith. Introduce yourself and what you do, and then we'll get into the questions. Okay. My name is Keith Ellis. I am a professional clean comedian, and uh, basically I just, I tell jokes. I, I ease the tension, uh, basically like one of the pastors on there who's a healer, I like to ease attention because with laughter it eases a lot of stress and when you laugh and you don't really stress about a lot of things so i travel around the world doing comedy that's my passion that's what i do excellent and as far as just getting in what, what what's been happening the reason i believe i'm here is because i posted a video uh, a couple of weeks ago that video that i posted is because some white friends and associates were asking me keith is this what it's like to be black they saw the marches they saw the treatment and I said, yes, this is what it's like to be black. So if you ever make that decision, understand there's a lot of weight that comes along with it. And so I started, just figured I'll share my experience, but I'm gonna, I'll share the police side of the experience that I've been dealing with. One, I was saying how I got pulled over by cops and there was really no reason they would just pull me over. And uh, there was times in Scottsdale, I would get pulled over and the officer even told me I don't belong there. So that meant like, okay, I don't belong in Scottsdale, so I need to leave. And that's what they told me, you need to leave. Uh, there's times I've been pulled out at gunpoint and I've learned, you know, black people, we all have a story. And that walk is, you know how to interlock your fingers behind your head, you know how to get out of your car without grabbing for the inside door handle, you know how to get on your knees, all of that. That's happened to me, not a couple of times. I've been pulled over by seven cops from leaving a club after a show. And only thing they said was, you took off abruptly at the light. I didn't make it 300 feet, but I got pulled over. And we just stood and looked at each other. And they just said, um, uh, where are you coming from? I'm like, the club. You've been drinking? Nope. Nobody had much to say. So a few of the cops, they left. The other two that pulled me over, they were like, you need to go straight home. I'm like, what? I haven't done anything wrong. There's no citation, nothing. He's like, so I'm not responsible if you get pulled over again. This was in Scottsdale? Arizona? This happened in Phoenix on Central and Camelback. Okay. And what time of uh, night was that? You said it was when you were leaving. It was leaving. about 8.30, 9 o'clock. 8.30, 9 o'clock p.m.? Yes. 
and they pulled you over in Phoenix, Arizona, because you took off abruptly from a light. Now, I'm thinking you're talking about coming from a club because you did a show and it's like midnight, one, two o'clock in the morning. This was just regular evening time. Yep. Yep. Regular evening time. I finished the show in Scottsdale, and I always crack the joke in Scottsdale when this club that I go to. I'm like, you know, I'm in Scottsdale. I need to leave because you know I'm going to get pulled over. Now you can say I'm putting that in the air, and people are like, no, no, it's like it's happened too often. So yeah. I left the club, went to a Circle K, grabbed me something, got on uh, southbound on Scottsdale Road, three lanes, cop behind me hits the light. I pulls he pulls me over. He says you are obstructing traffic. I looked at my speed armor, I'm doing 37 and a 45. So he says, I was obstructing traffic. Two cars had to go around me and I said, no, you're incorrect. You were on the left tail of me. So two cars had to go around you. One car went around me. So I paid attention to my surroundings. So as he's doing it, he says, have you been drinking? Nope. Now he's like, I gave my ID, my information. He went back to his car within seven seconds, walked back and said, have a good night. And I said, he just said, just have a good night. So I said, is that the reason you pulled me over? He says, I'm going to question you every time this happens. See, it started getting to a point, honestly, because you said, I'm allowed to keep it real on here, right? Mm -hmm. I've been pulled over so much till it got to the point, I wasn't getting tickets, but I was getting frustrated. And to the point, I actually was on stage before I did the clean part. I was like, to the point, save a friend, kill a cop. I didn't have a problem with saying that on stage. I didn't wow. care who wanted to challenge me because it was just getting to the point. I stopped when I did a show in Oakland because I know they would kill a cop and I didn't want to be the instigator of that. Wow. So I'm like, all right. Yeah. But so let me, let me. Back to that. The thing is, is that frustration can drive you to, to do many things. It can drive you to, to say things as well. And, and the people who pulled you over don't necessarily even know that you have a platform and that could have caused uh, other things to happen in other people's lives. And whether it's politicians uh, whether it's pastors, comedians, other people that have pl platforms, a lot of times they don't understand how powerful their words are. And uh, with you, uh, you were so frustrated, the nice, kind Keith that I know, I'm like, wow, he said that, but you, you, were, you were driven to frustration. You were driven to frustration. It had gotten so bad, really, that it was happening when I got pulled over by the, by the seven cops that surrounded me and were standing outside the vehicle. I hadn't been drinking or anything, so they're just looking at me. So I said, you know, it's, it's cold outside. Can I get my coat out the trunk? So he, he looks at his partner and puts his hand on his gun. And I was like, okay. So a couple other officers started walking away. He let me open my trunk. I grabbed what I needed. And, and it's in my head, in my head, it was like, this is just, why not just run? Just, why don't you just shoot me in the back? Why don't you just shoot me in the back? Because this is pissing me off. Is that, that's really what you want. So when it gets to that point, I just started figuring out how can I turn this into humor, comedy. So I started talking about the police, but I don't say negative, but I say actually what's happening. So one lady after the show, she said, your comedy is so profound, you speak as if nothing's changed. I thought she was saying it as in a rude way. And, she, and then I thought about it, I was like, well, nothing has changed. Nothing has really changed. My mother's 90 years old and here we are still fighting for civil rights and equality. So nothing has really changed. If I go into a bar, if you want to talk about racism, I can go into a bar, I watch everybody before I even make a purchase. I see people buy drinks. I buy the same drink. Okay, I got it, six bucks. Go again, it's 10 bucks, but I still see them getting it for six. So it's like, it's changed, 
not for, the, for them, it's a regular price, but I'm still paying. It's like, you just charge them. They're like, no, no, no. I was like, no, you just did. And I'll go in a restaurant. I've been passed. I sit down with another comic who's Asian. We sit there and we watch people go get seated. And he's like, what, we're, we're not here? I'm like, welcome to the black experience. Mm-hmm. 20 minutes before we get served water or coffee. I've been to restaurants. I just did a show last year in Mill Valley. And me and the guy comic went in who's Hispanic. They put us so far in the back past five empty tables. And I said, do you not just see what they just did? It's like, they don't want us to be seen, but I got other friends there that are millionaires that are black. And he happened to see me and he brought me back around. He's like, what do you, what, what do you, I was like, you know what it is all about, you know. And, and I've, I've, you know, been able to sit wherever I want to in restaurants. And then I've also had a number of times where we're just always back by the kitchen, always placed back yeah. by you walk past all these other tables to place me back here. So I'll ask, I'm like, well, I'll look around and I'll say, I want that table over there. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, and then then I'll have people say, well, that section is not open, but there's somebody sitting right next to that, that section. I'm like, okay, well, I, I still want that table right there. And you know, my husband, he's a nice kind soul and he'll just like, look at me, but he already knows that, that I'm going to sit at that table. I'm not going to sit all the time back by the one that, that is by the kitchen. And it doesn't happen all the time, but it has happened. The same thing with uh, our neighborhood when we were in Indiana. Our first house was a nice, very nice house, um, just in a general neighborhood. And we wanted to move to a different house. Our realtor showed us houses in various neighborhoods that basically had the same kind of house you're already living in over and over and over again. So my husband took it upon himself to go and find the house that we wanted. And they were like, oh, that house is not available. How is it not available when there's a for sale sign in the front yard? So we dropped that realtor and got a different one who showed us that house. And then we moved into that house on Lakeside Drive. So it, 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 it happens all the time. It happens all the time. It, see, the thing is, the, thing, the, reason, the other reason that I, that I posted what I posted was, since there was people asking, everybody's used to keep laughing, smiling, being positive. That's all you ever see because I'm just that happy-go-lucky guy. But when I leave the club, I'm thinking, like, am I going to make it home? But you mm-hmm. see me on the stage laughing, being all outrageous and do what I do. And it's just, Keith, you know, you, you get pulled over. You get harassed. You get the, yeah, uh, that happens. And people don't think that it happens to you. So I figured all the people that knew me, and I mean, I mean that's wonderful, the response that I got. I think it was all the way up to 6,000 hits. I was just like amazed, like you guys didn't think this was happening. You didn't think this was serious. So with people coming forward, which I'm happy as uh, Armand said in the beginning, everything does happen for a reason. So you had the pandemic and people have to stay home. They have to calm down. They have to actually focus and look at things. So they started filming when George Floyd got killed. Everybody sat sat there because once you start sitting still, you start noticing things. Mm -hmm. And now you've had the chance and opportunity to sit like God said, sit down, be still, learn something. So you right. started gathering, you started seeing things. Because if you were still in the rat race, that wouldn't have been a big deal about George Floyd. Ah, just another black man killed that. But no, you got all you got all these things happening. But you got two months, three months to sit still and actually absorb what's happening around you. And the white people that were actually putting out those harassing, he's threatening me things that weren't really happening. It's like, see, we don't lie. So when I share my story, it's like talking to a uh, a white guy about me being pulled over. He shares his story. It's like. I'm not sharing to hear your story. We're not here to go tit for tat. I'm sharing just to let you know racism is still alive and well. That's the whole purpose of what I do. Mm-hmm. So, so what comedy, 
Go I'm ahead. Sorry. I'm just going to say comedy. Comedy for me is when I go on stage, I still share the truth, but it's also it enlightens people because I'm not the angry black man on stage. Right. I'm the guy that you can come talk to. And it's just like, that still happens. Yeah. So now you have a, a, a sensible conversation. There's no anger. There's humor in what I say. And now it's like, okay, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. And you, and you do it in such a diplomatic way without any, without any uh, vengeance. I, I mean, I don't hate anybody. It's just, can we just get along? And the whole thing was respect me and I respect you. Yeah. And so I want to touch on two things. So I want those who, who are listening to, uh, whether you're listening to this now live or if you're listening uh, on the replay, <laughs> feel free to go ahead and type in all of these different comments that I'm asking for. Uh, we uh, would love to hear from you. So if you have ever been pulled over uh, by, by the police, whether you're white, black, yellow, green, orange, um, just write pulled over, just write pulled over or so that we know that you've been pulled over. There's a number of different comments that we've been getting all day. So don't just put yes, uh, put pulled over so that we know that you have been, uh, if you have a number of times that you know that you have been, I can count mine on one hand, but for a number of the black men that I know, I mean, it's multiple, 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 multiple. Yes. And even more than that for, for you know a number of people. So just write pulled over. The other thing I wanna say is, um, that we need to open up the opportunity for dialogue by not having an attitude. So two weeks ago, there was a young lady and she's gone through her own experiences and was even um, ridiculed by some people because she's Hispanic and at, or said something about, you know, what was going on with the whole Floyd situation. <laughs> and they said to her something like, well, what do you even know? Like, you know, you're not even black and this and that and, 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 and got on her about wanting to ask a question. And so she came to me and another person came to me about two, three people, three people or more um, that wanted to ask some questions and just have the dialogue. And she didn't know if she could even come to me because of the reaction that she got from the other black person. And they, what they said to her about, you know, well, you're not even black. What do you know? She's, she's Hispanic and she's been through a lot, you know, in her life. She has her own story. We all have our own story. But if we as a race tries to just shut down everyone who, did, who sincerely wants to have a dialogue, then that is not being a part of the solution. That's not being a part of the solution. And so the different people that have commented on your post and the different people that you know that have asked questions, I applaud you for even opening up the dialogue because sometimes people are just so angry that they don't even wanna have the dialogue. Anything you have to say about that? Well, yeah, the, one of the things is like you said, how can somebody say, you know, you don't know what that person's been through. So as an example, last night at the show I did, there was a guy, people in the back of him were from Cincinnati He's always lived in Arizona, so I had to go, had to talk this through. He said something about Cincinnati, blah, 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 in, in a negative. And I said, have you ever been to Cincinnati? He's like, no, I've lived in Arizona all my life. And I said, I stopped the entire audience. I'm like, now let's break it down. <laughs> you look at something on the news, and that's what you grab, you gather. And now you're talking about these people negative, and you're like, F you, Cincinnati. See, that's the ignorance that's right out there. No one's taking the time. I said, before you even attack them, why don't you find out about Cincinnati and stop following the news and actually do some research before you open your mouth? And I say, that's the same thing when it comes to humans. Black people right now are asking, be quiet, listen to what we have to say, then you can come back. Don't come back, give me an opinion when you just hear half the sentence. And I believe it was Dom, uh, the LA cop, I believe he's, he's like, 
Dialogue is powerful. And I know one of the other speakers said, put a period on the sentence so the person knows when you're finished talking because so many people don't let you finish because they think they know where you're going with it. And that takes you off in so many different areas because you're not listening. So I wish we just actually just shut down, shut up and just listen to how you say something. Because a cop says, I'll tell you, tell you to turn down your music instead of saying, hey man, could you cut down your music a little bit? Ask mm -hmm. how you word it can either diffuse the situation or set off a bomb. Right. And some right. of us are ready to snap. So not me, but some are. <laughs> what'd you say? I said not me, but some are. Oh, not it only you. takes a word. It only takes a word. It only takes a word. And I mean, it's because some people are so ready. If you ask, excuse me, can you put a mask on instead of saying you don't have a mask? People are ready to be defensive right now. Mm -hmm. So and that, that is a good a good way to peep it, put it. Uh, people are ready to be defensive. And some people are ready for dialogue, but it's so true. Some people are just really ready to be defensive. And and I, I akin that to not really being clear on the views that people have on the protests versus the riots because so many people only use the word riot. They're not the same thing. And that's why I keep going back to the education in the schools and in the homes and what we do in our churches to not just help diffuse the 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 all of the explosions that are going on right now, but to provide some education so that when anyone at of any age opens their mouth, that we want you know someone to listen to us, we actually have something to say, and that we actually have something to say that is real and and actually true. A lot of what we've been taught in schools is some of it's not true, and some of it's just partial truth because American history was not taught in the way that it really happened, and true. so. Um, a lot of what's going on in the black community, you know, redlining, gerrymandering, there's like all different kind of things that, that people don't know because they weren't taught to know why some people are as heightened as they are, why people have so many uh, frustrations and stress that they have. So um, I want to talk a little bit about where you were before here, because we both had some experiences in Indiana. So can you... Yes. You're like, yes. So can you hear a little bit about that? Okay. <clears throat> Being raised in Indiana, Michigan City, and I know that's right next to Indianapolis, Indiana is Klan territory. Right. That's, that's that was Klan. right where we were, by the way. We were in Valparaiso, Indiana. Okay. Okay. See, so, so Valparaiso, Maryville, some of those areas, Klan yeah. members. So yeah. at the early age of 13, I believe, I got to see the Klan march. And I'm looking, it was one block from my house. And I'm looking at this like, is this really happening? They're across the street and they're yelling at people, blacks in, in the housing community. And, but nobody wanted to cross the street, but everybody's got anger, but no one's crossing the street to actually start a confrontation. But I'm looking like, am I actually watching people in, in sheets and hoods? And it's like, yes. So time goes by, I'm driving down the freeway and all of a sudden I see something late night burning, a cross burning. And I look up and I was like, I'll pull over and see maybe I, there's something on fire. It's like, no, that's not a good idea to pull over. When I saw the Klan, they were burning. I don't know what. I just saw a cross. And it's like, okay, all right, so we know. So my dad always says, always pay attention to your surroundings because you right. never know. 
Right. So when I'm seeing all this happening, um, me being pulled over, even in Indiana as a kid, there's things happening. Uh, there's there's a little bit of the race riots to the to a degree in Indiana. We're right next door to Chicago. So I mean, for one moment, Indiana was the murder capita. So many things were happening. Right. So that to where I got, you know, to paying attention to a lot of things around me, black and white. My mother and father never just said, you know, black, you know, you, you, this is going to happen. They let me grow up and see it. And then if I had questions, you know, they told me. So I just kind of figured, all right, this is, this is what it's going to be like getting older. So when I went to college in Michigan, uh, everything was good. I got an A in automotive. I didn't participate. I, I thought I was. I didn't participate in the lab portion of it. I got an F because he said you didn't participate. I'm like, all, all, the, all the white kids, I would go look, but no white kids came over to my car, but I'm the one flunking. So I said, I'm done with college. So it was, it was always building that black and white thing. It's like, why is this happening? What, 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 what am I, how am I such a threat to you? So I learned from a friend, he says, it's best to be prepared for an opportunity than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. So I started learning as much as I could about, it. he said, learn everything you can. You don't have to be a master of it, but it'll be something that always gets you through. So with my 50 something years of age, I've had over 50 jobs at, at least. And I've, yeah, I've excelled at all the jobs. I ran corporate companies, blah, blah, blah. Within, and, and I've seen racism just, just hit so heavy in so many areas. And I'm just still, a, I'm still amazed because there's so much ignorance that people, when you try to talk to them, they've already set in their ways. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as the police officer said, is how you, how you can explain something to somebody or the way you do it without seeming like you're being dominant with pulls in men that makes them want to talk more because i've been so nice to people that they've actually turned and as one thing i've seen uh, uh william f buckley at the end of it, william f buckley says he was proud of his speech even though he lost the debate by 300 and something points so he was upset he did he was upset but he's like i'm proud of myself because i didn't inch. don't want to give anything even though they know you're right they don't want to give an inch and they would rather be stubborn and an ass than to just say okay some of that does make sense so you know i want to give a little but you got to be stern and you just got to keep that folk that that mentality of i didn't give an inch so i'm going to keep the hatred going yeah i want you to say that opportunity quote again and if anyone is watching if you could just write the word opportunity that was really really good and i want to use that um go ahead and say that again keith Okay, my friend, he said, it's best to be prepared for an opportunity than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. Say it one more time. It's best to be prepared for an opportunity than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. And Amen. that stuck with me. That has stuck with me. So, yes. I mean, and it's, yes. It's best so. to be prepared for an opportunity than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. Yes. That is awesome. That is awesome. And and one of the stats that I have is just, you know, about, uh, you know, a lot of Blacks are, are, are stuck in low-paying jobs. You know, th there's a lot of jobs that we know, waiters, waitresses, that they don't even get minimum wage. It's it's based on tip. And, that, and that's part of, you know, how society was set up. And with the low-paying jobs, most of them don't have benefits. So then you have people that still have where they, they can't necessarily get by uh, if they have a doctor's appointment or need something done from a dentist perspective, um, you're still just you know barely trying to make it. And yes, there, there's, there's people 
um, you know, like uh, I haven't had 50 jobs, but I've always had a job ever since I think um, age 16. Even before that, we were kidpreneurs. We were always out there, six, seven, eight years old, nine, 10, 11, 12. We were mowing lawns, um, raking leaves, cutting rose bushes, painting houses. We were doing anything and everything, you know, uh, what was it, a paper route? We had all the stuff going on, you know, making money, right? But um, everybody doesn't necessarily have where, um, where employment and the types of jobs that we have, some of us have now, they haven't had those opportunities. Um, and so what do you have to say that might help us, you know, as some closing remarks of, yes, we need people to listen. Yes, we need to have something to say in order for them to listen. But um, what can you say to our race to help them to understand better, I guess, our responsibility? I would say to our race, I was like, take the time to listen. Do not always be defensive. Let, let people speak, but then also do your own research. Don't just do hearsay. Don't go to church and listen to the pastor. Open the Bible up and get your own understanding so you can ask questions back and forth. Take the time to listen and use this. This will get you in a lot of places if you smile. I mean, you can't come in with that attitude and it turns other people off. So when I go to even late night convenience stores, I, have to, I smile and I speak so that person can be a little bit more comfortable because so many people are already up in arms like oh, a black guy coming in late night. And you, you know, so I would just say whatever you want to do in life, get the research on that, what you want to do, how you want to do it. Find out the person who's doing it. Listen to them. Talk to other people. Listen to everybody. Everybody has something to offer you, whether it's negative or positive. It lets you know not to deal with that person again or find somebody else who can give you what you need. But take the time to listen and actually evaluate what they said. Don't know it all. Do not know it all, really. And you'll grow. Yeah. That's I my tip. I think that uh, listening is, is key. It's key uh, always, both ways. It's, it's key. Um, and I just want to acknowledge some of the people that have said that they were pulled over. I'm not going to, to read their names necessarily, you know, that they were pulled over, but thank you all for engaging. And then in relation to the word opportunity, uh, thank you, Jacqueline and Robin, Amanda, Sarah, Talisa, Jonathan, and, and Geraldine. And Carlisa, you've been... Um, on here, hanging tight with us, uh, doing a lot, a lot of comments. So really, really appreciate it. Uh, we have a responsibility, Keith, and I, I really appreciate your platform of humor. And um, and and I would even say, you know, praying for you as well, because with the hurt and the heaviness um, that's going on in our communities and, and, and in our hearts, uh, it's hard sometimes, I know for me, I had mentioned earlier, to even to be able to formulate words and make sentences or even be able to, to go to my various clients. Or um, if someone's asking me how I'm doing, just in general, like it's hard for me to even, I mean, I can't lie and say that I'm doing okay because I'm not. And, um, and every time I even mention this, even on this narrative, I get a little welled up like I am right now, trying not to, you know, have my voice be shaky, but it's, it's hard, it's hard. So um, I'm not sure, you know, with relation to your, what you do as a comedian, if it's been hard for you or if you, you know, have been able to, to step up and just, you know, go for it. But, you know, how has that been for you in, in just a couple closing comments? Being able to sit back for the last three months, I didn't write any material. Well, I wrote a little bit of material, but I didn't look at any of my work for since March 5th. 
And I just sit back just thinking, okay, how do I want to come back out when they ask me to perform? And my thought was, I'm going to come out just telling the truth. Finally, you're seeing things. So when I come out on stage, they might laugh. They might not laugh. I'm not going to worry about that anymore. I have a message. Back in the days, my mom used to have this, uh, I go to different churches I'd never been to before. And somebody would say, there's a prophet. God's got a calling for you as a pastor. I'm like, not me. I'm a comedian. And then I'd go to a different church I'd never been to before. Pastors say the same thing. God's got a calling. So I look at the platform as a comic, go on stage, diffuse people um, with the defense of black people and just say what you need to say and be realistic about it. And if they laugh, they laugh. If they don't, they don't. But you, there's, you can teach people more when, when they laugh. I've ran some companies and with laughter, it got me so much farther with so many good people behind me. I'm still friends with them 25 years later, 30 years later out of South Carolina and so forth. So it's just my job is to go on stage and show you what's still out there, but also let you know every cop is not a bad cop. Mm -hmm. Every comedian is not is not angry and every black person is not a bad person either. So if I can show you that after the show, we can talk, we can we can hopefully have good dialogue and spread the love. So that's why it's a family show. I want you to go home talking to your kids. Bring the kids to the show. They can ask questions about it. I'm going to say black and white things, but yes, I want you to walk away. It's just like, well, okay, I didn't know that was happening. Oh, okay. Yeah, because the kids are going to deal with it in school. So I've been bullied and I've been through that. So it's just, just um, for me, it's, it's been a good growth period, those three months. Wow. I'm happy. That's good. That's good. And yeah, um, related to the whole bully situation, um, that's something that you and I can talk about a bit later. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, we just I have like all these different things I want to follow up with everybody on because I just don't want to let anybody go. But I, I really appreciate you being on today and sharing with us, giving us a, another perspective and all that you do to lighten the weight of people um, by using humor to get us through these times. So thank you so, so much. I want to thank you and the other gentleman. I can't think of his name. That was uh, started off earlier, not I'm on the floor. I mean, you're, you're, uh, the other gentleman that was working with you. Uh, I can't think of his name, but every other speaker on the on the panel, I've gotten information. I wrote down some little uh, footnotes. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate this opportunity. So God Thank bless everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Andrew, are you there? Yes, ma'am. Did you win the game? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Did you score any points? Uh, I didn't really get the ball, so... But I played a good defense. Okay, okay. So you, you I, made I had some Yes, I had rebounds and uh, some uh, some blocks. Some rebounds and blocks. Okay. As long as you made a contribution, that's all I can ask for. <laughs> so uh, we have talked about you a couple times during the, the narrative today. And so as we wrap up with the speakers, we wanted to make sure that we were able to have you on. Uh, this is Andrew. He was in a basketball game, so that's why we had to move his time around in order to uh, have him on. So, so thank you for being with us today. You're welcome. So uh, you can go ahead and introduce yourself. I said a little bit about you, but what do you have to say about who, who you are? Who is Andrew? Yeah, my name is Andrew. I play basketball. Uh, I'm a junior in high school. Oh, my full name is Andrew Brewster. Um, I go to church. I go to church at work all this day, and I just turned 60. 
Excellent. And what are some of the things that you like to do at the church? Uh, gospel rap. I preach sometimes. Um, I help the kids out and I sing and I work the camera. Excellent. Excellent. So what I want to talk to you about is just uh, thanking you for being a part of the narrative and um, letting people know um, how things have been for you during being off of the coronavirus, as well as, you know, with all of the unrest that's going on right now. Um, how, how has this uh, caused you to uh, react or respond? How, what, what, what's been going on in your head these days? Um, to be honest, it's like, it's crazy. Like what's going on with the riots and the looting and stuff. But I just been sitting at home bored just because <laughs> like I play basketball like all the time and like they shut, they close up the gyms and yeah, I just can't play basketball. So I just been okay. chilling. Have you, have you been watching the news more or watching anything or listening? You said it's been crazy. What What's crazy about it? Um, well, like on Instagram, uh, on Instagram, I mean, uh, there was like, I saw a video of this kid, um, uh, he was playing basketball in his driveway and the police like strolled right by his house and he like, he hid behind the car and like, that's just sad to see because you shouldn't be scared of the police because they're here to protect us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And um, so you said you saw that on Instagram and some other things. So what what have you talked to been able to talk to any of your friends about what they have thought about any of what's going on? No, ma'am. Oh, you haven't. No, what about you talk to your mom about it? Yeah, sometimes. Oh, yes. Yes, I have. Okay, uh, so what have been some of the things that you've talked about? Have I know um, maybe her or a pastor like just talking to you about ways to be safe? Yes. Like, so like when we go out and like she says like to watch your surroundings because the world, the outside world doesn't love us. Like they don't care about us. So to just watch your surroundings and um, yes, that's pretty much it. Okay. And uh, so what do you um, have as maybe one thing that you can share with us that might be um, maybe something that you learned in a song or something that you learned in a scripture uh, that can be some good advice for young men today? Is there a, a lyric that might come to mind or, or a scripture, something good that you can share with us? Um, only thing I got to say that I can share with you guys is that um, you reap what you sow. So that's what my mom teaches me that. So if you're going to go out and have an attitude or something like that, do something like bad to somebody else, you should sometimes you should expect it to come back to you. So just to always do good and uh, renew your mind every day. Renew your mind every day and you reap what you sow. That's really good. That's really good. And so um, I appreciate you being able to be on with us today. And uh, I just want to ask you, you know, in relation to, to what you do uh, with gospel rap and the other things, do you have any ambitions of what you want to be when you grow up? Like church-wise or like, in like life. church-wise? In life. Oh, in life. First, I want to 
try to make it to the NBA, but if that doesn't work out, I want to be a marine biologist or an actor. Oh, and I like to cook, so probably a chef. Oh, okay. Okay. So all those are really cool things. And so, you know, depending on what it is you want to do, you know, we're always here to, to help you uh, to achieve your goals. We do have, um, I know professional chef, one of the guys that was on is an ex-NBA player. Um, and I don't know about the marine biologist part. We can maybe try to see what we can do there. Another thing that you said you wanted to That's an actor. Oh, an actor. Okay. So yeah, no, lots of actors and producers and, and, and um, people in Hollywood. So whatever it is, if you need help with, you just let us know and, and we'll try to be there for you. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you for being on today. You're welcome. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. Okay. So everyone, I appreciate you being a part of our Solidarity Summit today. Uh, we have such a great responsibility uh, that there, this is the time for us to come together as people to do what we can to activate our choices, activate our choices. And we all have a choice to maybe go forward and um, be stuck in, <clears throat> in our minds, uh, thinking our own thoughts about just us as individual or individuals, or we have the choice to do what we can do to help this world be a better place. And so I have some things I want to read to you um, as we get ready to close. I'm going to get my book right here. And uh, if you have any questions about how you can continue to be involved, uh, we do have a list of things that uh, we're going to be going over that will be next. Part of this has to do with uh, continuing the narrative with other speakers uh, and with other people that are solution oriented. It's not just for us to get on here and just talk, but it's about us to get on here and talk about maybe what we've been through and some things that we have used as solutions and how we can continue to offer up new ones. Part of it is what we've talked about earlier related to partnering uh, with our local government officials. So one of the next narratives we will have, um, if you are, uh, in contact with any government officials in any city or state that you may be in, please let us know. Uh, and then we will use you as an advocate and an ally to get in touch with them so that we can have government officials on one of our next narratives. Um, so if that is you and you know that already, that you have uh, government officials that are a part of your network, um, just write the word government in the comment and we know that we can get in touch with you uh, in the future related to future narratives. So if you have some government officials that you, or if you are one, you might be a government official that might be listening to this now, or you may be listening to it in the future um, on the replay, let us know so we can get in touch with you to talk about legislation and how we move forward from that front. If you are a teacher or if you want to teach or you are interested in uh, other books that we can get into the school system related to uh, rewriting true history and then also some things going forward related to, to books in the school system, uh, let us know. You can just write in the comment the word books, the word books because we want to have other materials uh, that have a better picture of what has really gone on specifically here in America, uh, ways that we can work together as a long-term solution to get some of these books uh, into 
into the schools. Another thing um, has to do with our podcast. And so we are going to have uh, Above Your Best, and we're going to have other things related to the solidarity narrative. If you would like to speak in the next narrative or be a part of the podcast, then you can just write the word podcast in the comments. Again, whether you're listening to it now or on the replay, write the word podcast and we can get in touch with you about that. Um, we also have where there's various messages that are written on the uh, front of this, on the bottom of this, re related to uh, compassion and hope and kindness and unity. Uh, so we do have solidarity gear. Uh, if you are interested in purchasing any of these, um, you can let us know that as well. You can just write the word gear or you can already make a donation to our nonprofit. Uh, the Solidarity Narrative is a part of Full Color Movement uh, International. So the website for that where you can make a, a 501c3 donation is fullcolormovement.com. Fullcolormovement.com. And if you make a donation of $25 or more, uh, I can let you know, you know what you can get as far as some of the shirts and gear that we have. Or $75 to $100 or more, I can let you know, you know what we would be able to send you based on that donation. Um, we are very uh, happy that we had all, all these different great speakers on. I hope you en enjoyed our speakers today. Hope you took some notes and some things that, um, that we are able to do together as we move forward. Uh, there was a lot of great insight. And so I appreciate all of them being a part of the narrative. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and read my closing comments and just like to thank you all for being a part of the narrative today. We have a responsibility, a chance, a choice to be leaders or followers in our families, our community, and in our world. Which are you going to choose? We have a responsibility, a chance, a choice to either say okay, say no more, or say nothing. Which are we going to choose? We have a responsibility, a chance, a choice to rise to the occasion, to stand as a person, a body, a movement, and be the best versions of ourselves or remain stagnant, sleep, and enslaved. Which are we going to be? We have the responsibility, the chance, and the choice to unite as a people, as brothers and sisters, and as a movement to march together for the short and long-term solutions for positive reform. Which are we going to choose? We have the responsibility, the chance, and the choice to not let fear define us, but rather to let our fears be defined by the letters of fear. F-E-A-R, which stands for Fresh Energy Awaiting Reset. Let me say that again. We can use our fears as fresh energy awaiting reset. What are we going to choose? What are we going to allow fear to do to us or how are we going to use it? We have the responsibility, the chance, and the choice to reset, 
renew, and refresh. By waking up, by being woke, and by staying awake. With our eyes open and having our eyes open to the truth, to reality, and to honesty. So which are we going to choose? We have the responsibility, the chance, and the choice to take off our mask, our mask of hate, our mask of hate, to take off our mask of classism, and to take off our mask and replace them with childlike acceptance, with childlike unity and authenticity. Which are we going to choose? We have the responsibility, the chance, and the choice to embrace solidarity, to open the, to open the narrative, to use our God-given talents, our intellect, and our creativity to formulate collective possibilities, to formulate platforms, to formulate proposals for what's next. What are we going to choose? So I thank you and we thank you for agreeing to be a part of the narrative. Solidarity is defined as unity and it could be an agreement or an action, especially among individuals with a common interest. And I thank you for being a part of this narrative today because we have a responsibility, a chance, and a choice. My name is Crystal Richardson, and I thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Soaring with Eagles. Please join Crystal Richardson again on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another edition. Let's soar together, give back to our communities, and change the world.